podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by thebatmanuniverse.net. Here, we love talking about everything Batman. Thebatmanuniverse.net has news, original content, and reviews about Batman comics, movies, TV shows, video games, and more. Check out thebatmanuniverse.net and join our Discord server to start chatting with fellow fans. We can't wait to talk to you guys. Also, visit our Patreon page and join our other awesome supporters. But enough of this nonsense. On with the show. Gotham City, like any other large metropolis, abounds in girls of all shapes and sizes. Debutantes, nurses, stenographers, and librarians. Gotham City Library, Miss Gordon speaker. Lopez hair removal, this is Jose. Holy transformation. One minute, plain Barbara Gordon, librarian and Commissioner Gordon's daughter. And the next minute, something new has been added. Batgirl, modeled after her idol, Batman. Holy apparition. No, boy, wonder I'm Batgirl. You are no longer alone, Cape Crusaders. It took me three years to track down the Jade Gato, and three more to figure out how to steal it. Funny, it only took me ten minutes to figure out how to snatch it back. No matter how you do it, crime doesn't pay girls. Time. Time to live our lives. Set the world on fire. From the ashes we will rise Nomen est Stella at Hawk est Backroll Oracle, the Barbara Gordon Podcast, episode 239 for October MMXXIII. Backroll the Oracle is brought to you by MileHighComics.com, your new and collectible comic book store. Mile High Comics has an inventory of over 5 million comics from the gold, silver, bronze, and modern age, and over 100,000 trade paperbacks. If you're not into the vintage stock, Mile High Comics also has a subscription service called the New Issue Comics Express, offering a discounted price for comics ready to hit the shelves. So if you're looking for vintage back issues or a great modern subscription service, be sure to check out milehighcomics.com. Well, my sabbatical from War Games is quite brief but we are back and we are finishing it this time for reels for reels and i promise this guy was uh gonna be back on for it because he's he's in it for the long haul so it's my dearest friend soon to be my plus one at a mutuals wedding it is joshua lepin bertoni 
we're, we're on the front lines. We're going to plant that flag in the ground and finish this battle. Absolutely. Absolutely. Once and for all. Yeah. So people who are fans of our naked friend and follow oh him, my on, God. <laughs> follow him on Here Instagram noted that me included, of course, noted that some naked imagery was posted while both of you were at New York Comic Con. So the people want to know, were you the man behind the camera for these images? <laughs> First of all, when you say the people want to know, who is, who, who is the people aside from you? Mainly me, but... Mainly, I'm like, you're implying that like this that there is... The a fandom. The fandom, his Has followers the fandom on Instagram. Huh? Has the fandom told you this? Have they said, was that Josh? I make assertions and assumptions. It, this seems like a generalization. <laughs> I will answer anyway. Um, sure. I, I did not know. Okay. I don't know. Maybe he's just really good with like the timer feature. There were a few times where I went down for breakfast before him. And like, now that you're saying this, I'm like, oh, maybe when it took him a little while to get back to breakfast. And there was like one day where he like uh, got back to the hotel early. And then one day when he, when I went early and he joined me later. So maybe that's when the photo shoots happened. He did uh, meet up with a, with another friend, but I don't think that they were ever in the hotel without me. So uh, I don't know. Are you Um, resentful at all that he didn't ask for your assistance? A thought never crossed my mind. This is the first I'm learning. I, I'm never on Instagram. I didn't know that. I know. Were happening. I, and you I, don't I, follow I honestly, that account. Yeah, I honestly forgot. It, I, I probably would have been relieved that he asked someone else because I was so busy with work. I'd be like, yeah, good. Someone else do the photography. <laughs> were there any during BGSU? Probably not. He was very stressed during BGSU. Yeah, I don't I don't remember. In your ambiguities defense he does schedule it in advance so i will at least say that but i thought it'd be funny oh i I I thought they were coming from the hotel the way that you were describing it i don't think so no he he has them and then like schedules them out okay but i thought i would start a rumor a sensational one (laughs) sensational and salacious (laughs) oh okay well we'll take nycc as a transitionary piece and move straight into the find your joy segment shags mac and cheese of comfort and joy i'm just assuming that that was a find your joy moment but what has been giving you happiness in the i guess this month october and then the month i did not speak to you online here september (laughs) yeah it's crazy I, i was telling you before we started that when i got on i said i just came back from the busiest you know few months of my life and I kind of was in the middle of a bit of a break there. And then all of a sudden, like in the period of eight weeks, I went on six trips and the wedding will be the sixth and the final trip. So things just got like very busy again. So uh, some of those trips have been joyful. So um, I'm going to try and move through these quickly. The first one was Dragon Con, which was uh, fun. I like Dragon Con celebrating the fandom. And uh, that was nice. I got to see our friend Michael Bailey. Oh, and uh, my phone background when we because we did a panel together. Um, this is still. Do you know that that's still my phone background? Yes. Yeah. Did you change yeah. it? Now I'm sad. Did you change it out? No. Oh, you're keeping not. it. Okay. Because that'd be no, sad because it's, it's like everyone but Stella. Well, no. It's 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 the combination of like you know yes. it's like you it's Donovan it's my son so it's like yeah, yeah. I gotta like that that's rarely a combination and so that's my bad and you all look different now but anyway like um when I took my phone out. And Bailey saw that background. He said, oh, 
and like re- recognizing you and Don. After BGSU, I went to Minneapolis for a two-day X-Men convention, which was called the Uncanny Experience. That was really fun. And um, they had a Dazzler cosplayer who, like, you got to do karaoke with. Like, it was a cool event. And then after that, I went to Texas because the, a crazy thing. One of the kids, he wanted to go to SeaWorld for his birthday. And then in the middle of the summer, before we were able to go to SeaWorld for his birthday, his mom fell in love and um, moved to Texas to be with this uh, fella. Seems to be going well. And he was like, and they were in, they went to San Antonio. And I was like, there's a SeaWorld in San Antonio. We could go to SeaWorld for your birthday still. So I kept that promise. I flew to Texas for the weekend and went to uh, San Antonio and we went to SeaWorld. So that was nice. Then let's see, that's trip number three. Then trip number four was Bowling Green State University at the Spider-Man Academic Conference That was really nice. Um, I did a presentation on like misogyny and Spider-Man comics where I I owned up to the misogyny that I uh, put into the world regarding Betty Brandt and how that has not aged well. Sorry, listeners. I saw someone on 4chan the other day say, Bertone, he led that one man jihad against Betty Brandt. It's an exact quote. That was really weird. On 4chan? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Well, do you feel like you've made it if someone mentions you by name on 4chan? Uh, I don't think you want to be on 4chan. <laughs> I, I, I'd, I'd rather have my name off of 4chan. <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, BGS, Bowling Green State. That, you terrible. Know, that, that was fun. And of course, you were on our mind the entire time because like yeah. the last time we were there was years ago with you. Yeah. And uh, um, Ben came along for the ride, who's now a college student. And then from there, straight to New York Comic Con, which was... Um, it's very fast paced. It's um, someone asked me if I like it better than San Diego. And I said, you know what? I think I do mostly because um, it's a read pop convention and working for pop verse. I get a lot of like benefits at these read pop conventions. I get like a badge that like lets me in and out of like special doors and stuff like that. And I can skip lines and uh, free food, which is like very essential. And in terms of finding joy on uh, New York city, I love hunting for New York city pizza. You know, like I like to try different New York City pizza places and like, you know, when when I find a good one, I'm happy when I don't. It's like, ugh, never mind. And I actually looked through our text messages from when we went with Harry to see uh, Macbeth to like find this pizza place that Harry and Donovan and I went to when you went to that one play. I found it and I was like, wow, this was not as good as I remembered it um, a year and a half ago. Yeah. That's been my joy. Got to go to John's. Got to go to John's Pizzeria. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you very much. I will say, I think so far this month, probably the biggest joy yeah, has been going to back to Falmouth, back to tea ticket. Uh, this was the main trip that was planned. So in August, at one point, Harry said pretty immediately after the surprise dropped, uh, does this mean you're not coming in October? But that had already been planned. So Aww. I felt bad because I was like, that's a lot of Stella. You know, I double checked with the mayor and and all that just because I don't like to oversee my welcome. But ran a 5K. Originally, I was going to do a half marathon, but just with two jobs and a class over the summer, I just could not find time to run that my those miles. So just did a 5K. It was fine. It was chilly. It rained like before and after. So it was a bit better there. Apparently, I beat my time from the previous year. And then just, yeah, a lot of hijinks. I think, again, I'll probably wait until the episode, the, the next one when I'm by myself to talk about like the day by day. But if you do follow Harry and my, our gaming channel on YouTube, you can see that I gave him a haircut. 
gave him a haircut, a mullet. People commented on it that it was a good haircut. So I just want to put that forward. And then we also did a orange soda challenge where we got all the brands of orange soda we could and then saw which ones we could correctly guess. I guessed five out of five correctly. Poor Harry, only two out of five. So so I think I'll say that uh, for right now. But I'm happy that the, the weather is finally – the temperatures are dropping and it, it feels like fall. And then, yeah, just this weekend, uh, I'll be going to Texas for a yeah. wedding of, yeah, a, a close friend, someone I've been friends with for a while. And Josh is going to be my plus one and I'll be Josh's plus one. And it'll be <laughs> interesting to see, yeah, some people that I haven't seen for a while and be able to hang out with you too, so – yeah, and I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to that, and it's it'll be the coziest of all the trips I've been to because like every trip has been like something kind of like strenuous. Yeah, even even like taking that kid to SeaWorld, like Texas was hot. Oh, like, yeah, and I live in Florida. Texas yeah. was hot. Yeah, and we were like outdoors two days in the row because we did SeaWorld then Aquatica. Yeah, I've been checking the weather, and it's 80s, but the humidity is like 40s and 30s. So hopefully, it won't feel too bad. But yeah, I'm kind of prepping for that. But I'm all set to go. I know what I'm wearing for the wedding. So I just have to figure other stuff out. So and I know I'm wearing a belt to the wedding. Stella I'm so happy to hear it. Yeah, we'll see if there's a peach sighting on the dance floor. Peaches, 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 peaches. Uh, <gasps> whoa, 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 what if I request that song and we slow dance to it? I, you know, I'd be down. I'd be down for something. <laughs> we could dedicate it to Donovan. You could say this song goes Why out to Big D. Oh, no, wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't he be like coconuts or something? Like, well, yeah, but do we have a song? You and I? Not, yeah, do we have a song? Okay, the Peaches is our song now. They're not going to have the Teen Titans. Oh, yeah. The Uda. Uda. <laughs> Uh, okay. Well, I do have, I've been saving this, so we're going to do some listener emails. Mail time. Here's the mail. It never fails. It makes me want to wag my tail. When it comes, I want to wail. So I was saving this because a lot of them were coming comments on war games. I wanted you to be on there to hear them and also comment on them. So now I just have to sort through everything. So 237 uh, comment number one from Hornacek. Remember you remembered? Yeah, Hornacek. Yeah, so a bit a little a bit late, but here I am. Lots of podcasts to listen and watch. Yes, I am quote. Hornacek from Crawl Space, end quote, as Josh called me, the one that listened to old episodes and posted the funniest lines on the message board. That wasn't my idea. It was already a thing when I found the website years ago, but not many people were posting in that thread. And Brad said that he wished more people did. So I just started doing it. Lots of great funny lines from you during your time there. There are the obvious ones. What's a fat one? Josh asking you the thought balloons question, etc. But a personal favorite of mine was a message board question. Quote, what's a comic book that you are embarrassed you own? You said Metamorpho Year One. Brad asked, what is that about? And you took a pause and said, um, it's about the first year of Metamorpho, <laughs> which I guess answered the question after the laughter. Someone else said, oh, hold on a sec. 
thinks maybe it was Donovan. I don't know if it was anyone else said, man, Brad, she just took you to school or something like that. Anyway, I followed you over from there to here, figuring, you know, this podcast will be like so many others and won't last for long. What did I know? I'm still over at the crawl space. I now do front page reviews of amazing and have appeared on a few video podcasts. Finally, I just double checked and I am also the person that replied to your ex Witter poll who is to blame for war games with the answer Donovan. Hey. So Hornacek is an ally in many regards. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, that's that's not. And speaking of crawls, there was a lot of like crawl space, like overlap was there at at the at the Spider Man conference because yeah. there was a few of the like new people were there, and we all had like a dinner, you know, after the conference, and uh, and we were like surprised because like people would like mention crawl space in their presentation, so it was like oh. I think I texted Brad a few times, which I'll like still do time from time. Oh, and here's something that happened at New York. Um, I interviewed Dan Slott about uh, Spider-Boy and Superior Spider-Man. And I walked into the room to interview him with Donovan. And this was an interview for Popverse. And he looks at me and he says, oh, is this for Crawl Space? Oh, interesting. And I said, no, I haven't been to that site for 10 years. Thanks. <laughs> Uh, he wasn't asking like in a matter like whatever way because like I know yeah. some people take that out of context like yeah it's just like oh is this for cross and Don's like I can't believe you remembered that and I'm like yeah did you carry around that sign no okay. gosh I've not taken that sign to a con in like over ten in years, years in years yeah. Uh, on part two of 237 horse that comes back i haven't watched the september videos yet so if you've already discussed this there then just ignore this comment you mentioned here that you read halloween party in preparation to see a haunting in venice and i was wondering what your thoughts were i've seen a lot of chrissy adaptations and while there are always changes most of them have the same basic story or mystery while a haunting in venice takes place at a halloween party someone bobs for apples and some of the character names are the same the story is wildly different it feels like brana wanted a lesser known christie novel which this is after doing orient express and nile and he wanted to make a spooky poirot film which uh hp isn't but it's set at halloween so close enough yeah i actually just saw that this past week hornacek and i enjoyed it one of my compatriots jacob who's been on here and his wife also went we both read the book and so we were commenting on how how it really goes off but i think it was it's really original and there are like certain aspects that you kind of still feel tied to like leopold i felt like was pretty close or accurate but it also made it like oh is the killer going to be the killer so it, it kind of kept kept us guessing i was very claustrophobic being in there because in the book as you know he visits all these houses and, and the different people and the neighbors, which I did miss a bit, but being in here, claustrophobic. And then the cinematography is like very much on the people or looking down on them. So that felt like you were closing in. So it was interesting. And I'm okay that he took some liberties. Um, but yeah, I wonder if there are purists that did not like that. Have you seen this or do you read any of those or listen to them on tape? I have not now. Okay. Keeping on going. So this person posted and then deleted it. And mm. I don't know why, but I'll just read it because I felt like it was a good post. So maybe it was an accident. But I see. I mean, if it was like, yeah, I don't know. It was, it was a good comment. So I still have it because my email pinged. So Sweet Mimosa gives a, a time marker. There's a later issue of Robin. I can't remember the exact one where they bring back the resentment of her in a big way. I guess Tim 
resenting Steph. It's very weird. The whole end of that issue is just Tim stewing and how much he doesn't like that she, quote, thought she could ever be good enough to replace him, end quote. There was a weird period after War Games where it seemed like each bat book would randomly pull the reader aside and justify Steph's death. Do you recall this? I don't, but I definitely believe it because there was a lot of weird treatment around Steph after her death, and we're going to get some of that uh, in the recording that we're doing today. Yep. Also, uh, Shana, which I think this was in response to Shana from Earth 2, the vampire comments uh, said, you take so much joy out of my suffering. Uh, move it. <laughs> There's like no response to that. Okay. Two. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remember the context. You mean, uh, you it was the... about the pelican and oh, I asked yes. you to back up your reasoning of the, uh, the vampire, but yeah. you said the feathers. So it all makes sense. So yeah. I think she just doesn't like that. We have um, evidence to back up our claims. Mm-hmm. In regards to 238, I did say I wonder what Big D thinks about Cass Nero getting pwned by Harley Quinn in Birds of Prey number one. I don't know if you saw this. I, I read it, yeah. He did not respond, but you know who did come in? His his beloved, basically. And I don't oh, know if he I has so many this. beloveds. Yeah, uh, I know. Harry. Harry came in and basically said that it was false fake news that uh Cass would be he didn't use that phrase I can't find it but um that she would be why would Harley lie why no no, 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 I'm sorry why why would Cass Cass lie lie? yeah 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 yeah. and the argument is that Harley is so uh unpredictable that of course she would be able to get in some licks I think Cass is a good fighter but she's not invincible and we're all prone to make mistakes it's very true I think that absolutely like Cass would annihilate Harley Quinn in a one-on-one fight yeah, but I can I can believe that like Cass could have an off moment where Harley could have gotten the upper hand for a moment years ago. It's not like Harley killed Cass. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I would agree. But he didn't like it. He didn't like it. I did ask him. He's like, I didn't like that. I did also forget in my Falmouth recap that in a couple months ago uh, about the mayor knowing about the pickle jar being closed, which is one of my favorite restaurants there. She knew about it. Harry and I went. We were excited. I was more excited. It was closed. We come back and she said, yeah, oh, yeah, it's closed. And then also the man in the booth on the bridge. We were walking across one of those bridges that go up and down and a man exited the booth. And you know how I like to gasp or go like, ooh, you know, that sort of thing. So I did that. And he's like, do you want to come inside? Which upon first hearing, upon first hearing, I was like, this is creepy. He's like, no, really, you want to come inside? Luckily, Harry was right next to me. And so we all got so in there. Get murdered with you. <laughs> I know we all went in there. The mayor came in. Maybe oh. someone else was in there to look at like his control board. And we chatted with him. And that was a big joke. I think his name was John um, about this was probably the first human contact that John had had being in the booth on the bridge. But all because I was like, ooh, when he, you know, he came out there. Uh, And I will say I did ask because, you know, I asked Harry for his highlights of his birthday weekend and Donovan for his, but I didn't ask the mayor. She said, just you folks coming up, surprising Harry, says the last time he was that surprised was when Maggie came home from Korea. (laughs) Both of you making the most of Cape Cod weather, swimming in ocean, having stuffed quahog, getting stung by jellyfish, that was Big D, going downtown, etc. The camaraderie you all have is amazing, true friendship at its best. You may have varied views on issues, but that does not take away from your friendship. People could learn from you all. Both you and Donovan fit right in with the family and the 
fact that Harry liked the Liberté sailing was a fête de triomphe. We loved having you. Always an open door for both of you. And then P.S. She loves the the pick of the three of us spooning, which was, of course, her prodding allowed that to happen. And then finally, an actual email from Earth to Shana. She says, Stella, I was not expecting to enjoy Thompson's number one as much as I did. It's hard for me to articulate, but it feels like the spirit of BOP lives in this first issue. I did not feel the same about Background the Birds of Prey or any of the newer one shots that have come out in the last few years. It might be because Thompson already has me invested with the mission that revolves around sin. I think that alone helps older fans feel more comfortable in a new world and with a new team. We get so many seemingly small character moments in this issue, too. I love the interactions between Big Bart and Cass, Zealot and Harley, Dinah and Cass. I feel invested in this team already. My only hope is that Babs might join later down the line. And the art is so perfect. It's not overstylized. Our women aren't sexualized in every other panel. It has a classic feel to it. I cannot wait for issue two. In regards to Birds of Prey 74, I definitely think the most interesting scenes of this issue are the ones that involve Savant. Barbara using him and or giving him a second chance, you decide, adds some moral complexity to our heroes, especially Barbara. I like that Savant brings her hypocrisy to light. After all, aren't heroes supposed to be guided by a strict moral code? Don't we expect them to embody a black and white view of the world, one that is easy to consume and digest? Hero is an ideal and one that I don't think most human beings can live up to. In regards to your question about what responsibility Babs and Dinah have to Savant, personally, I don't think they have any. However, their roles as heroes say otherwise. Barbara admits to feeling the pressure of that identity in this issue. Additionally, Barbara likes to be in control. So while I agree that you can't force a person to help themselves, Babs might feel differently. To give her credit, though, Savant began as a hero before Batman rejected him. Perhaps it's why Barbara feels confident she can build him a conscience or at least reach that part of him that wants to do good. I think this is also the reason that Savant looks to Barbara and Dinah for some kind of salvation. He hit a rock bottom, but then caught a glimpse of the heroism he wanted to embody, communicated by Canary's laughter, a sign of resilience, when he held her prisoner. And now working more closely with Oracle, perhaps he's seen more of the man he wanted to become or be the hero he wanted to be. Now, whether it is fair or not to put that responsibility on Babs and Dinah to mere humans is a much greater philosophical question. Though I don't think it is unusual for us as mere humans to look to our heroes as gods, to see them as the only ones who can save us or even restore us to a more innocent state of being. Uh, and then Birds of Prey 75, know the photo, <laughs> oh, th that because of the clock tower being gone. Will we ever find out who took that salacious picture of Dick and Babs. I don't know. I still think it's Tim. I love the introduction of Zinda. Yeah. I think Simone crafted a really compelling character in her. And I'm excited to see my favorite version of the team in the upcoming issues. Best Shana. There you go. If Tim took that photo of Dick and Babs, the salacious one, maybe he took Donovan's photos. <gasps> Do you think Donovan would feel uncomfortable with Tim Drake taking naked pictures of him? I think Donovan would be like, I'm surprised that Tim Drake is real. <laughs> but, I think he, but I think I think he would be honored to have That's his true. favorite Robin uh, photograph him in the buff. There you go. There you go. In the buff. Oh man, yeah. like that guy, the buff dude. Oh, that's Duff. Never mind. Of the yellow people. Okay. The Duff man. <laughs> Duff, Duff, yeah. Okay, that's it. Thank you very much for writing in. Remember, you can post on YouTube, or sometimes I get X's or tweets, and then of course emails. So we're X's. No one calls them X. I don't even know what else they would be called. Epilo they're, 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 they're twits. Like we, they're we're twins. all ignored. 
their their tweets we're all ignoring the we're, 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 business yeah yeah okay yeah, we're, we're, we're all ignoring the name change it's like well hornacek said x sweets or something x witter x witter he made an amalgamation it's twitter it's it's tweets okay so we are looking at right now the epilogue of which i didn't even know existed until i flipped my kindle and i was like oh my gosh there's still more before war crimes so there are two epilogue <laughs> issues one of them i feel like is a better and in the spirit of epilogues an epilogue compared to another one i don't know if you would agree let's let's see i i have the same opinion but let's see yeah. if we agree on which one okay well the first one that technically came out uh, on my Kindle was Detective Comics 800 Alone at Night, which dropped January 2005. Writer Anderson, Gabrick, Pencil, Pete Woods, Inkers, Cam Smith, Jude Geraci, and Colors Jason Wright. And this is the one that I don't think really, like, if you didn't read it, you didn't miss much. So even though there's a huge synopsis, okay, even though there's a huge synopsis from DC Wikia, I'm not reading it because it's just not. So this is the nice little from DC Comics, what the publisher blurb was. Following the shocking events of War Games, Batman faces an entirely different and dangerous Gotham City. And with Killer Croc and the Mad Hatter on the loose, does the Dark Knight even stand a chance? Uh, there is a lot about drugs, con- you know, on the streets now that uh, War Games is over and... I guess uh, not many people are are keeping track of that. Um, and then we also see what Batman is like without Oracle. He actually has to do some work, which becomes a theme, I think, throughout this night that we'll talk about. They they hit you over the head with it yeah. a lot in the post-war games era yeah. so that readers know things are different. Yeah, he's like, like oh, I was going to call Oracle for yeah. directions, but I can't anymore. It's like. I had to do some detective work again. And it's like you have you only used Oracle for like a small portion of your career if you like add up all the years together. Yes. But he got he got lazy and unappreciative. Yeah. And jerk. I'm afraid so. Yeah. So a lot of my questions actually are I guess points to really address what goes on in this particular issue. It goes back to something that you said, I think, twice during our our arc together that this is just really a total reset of Gotham. You know, Batman is by himself. Really? Everyone seems to be gone though. Later on, Dick comes back, but that's really in war crimes. You know, Babs, Tim and Cass, we note are gone. Dick is injured. And then of course, Stephanie is dead. Um, Onyx is still around. She's taken over that particular territory, which the death of Orpheus is sort of um, galvanized. I think the, the Hill street gang, Uh, but otherwise, yeah, that's primarily what our status quo is. Uh, and then Jim also left. Jim Gordon left to be with his daughter. So they have a touching scene. So there are some scenes I do want to talk about. The Barbara Gordon scene with Bruce, when she makes that decision to to leave thoughts on that. I think that Babs was kinder than she could have been in that conversation. She didn't have to be. She could have uh, <laughs> let Bruce have it a little more, but I understand why not. Like They're both exhausted and people have died, so... You know, maybe it's not the time to do a complete postmortem on the relationship. Um, I thought it was a nice scene. Oh, I mean, I'm sure that you'll tell me, actually, this is why Batman, Batman shouldn't have lifted Barbara up or something like that. I don't oh, know. I, yeah. Um, I don't know ha- what people, I mean, I would have to ask someone who is in, well, I will say, actually, I'll say this from personal experience. Well, this is different. This is a different context. But when I was in the 
hospital that I worked at as a PT tech, someone in a wheelchair was coming out of the bathroom and her IV pole was there. And I was in there to like set up the room or whatever. And so she's coming out of the bathroom. I was helpfully going to move the IV pole out of her way. And she told me to stop that she could do it herself. And so that is just one of those. I think you just can't assume, but also on the other, if you didn't ask, it's like a tricky, a tricky thing. I think it's very dependent on the person, but I mean, yeah, to be like scooped up, I don't know how someone would feel. I would have to speak to somebody. I I think it was like a hug or something, I I guess. So, yeah. Um, but I do have a question though, having, cool. um, I'm, I'm sure you've read now, uh, the birds of prey issue where like, uh, that follows war games where they leave Gotham, right? Yes. It opens yep. with the bird. Yep. Um, it's been, I have not read that issue since it came out is Babs reasoning for leaving Gotham that they issue that they do in birds of prey. Is it the same as the reason she gives here that she needs space? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't remember what she says in birds of prey, but like. There's a lot of editorial mix-ups, like between the Nightwing title and the Batman titles around yeah. this time. And I'm yeah. wondering if Birds of Prey did a better job at kind of matching up. Uh, I would say that these two are, uh, they do align pretty well. Um, just that she needs space. She does mention Dick as a reason in the other one, uh, just kind of needs a reset for her. I will say I did reach out to Gail Simone via x Witter and asked her. I saw yeah. And um, unfortunately, she was told she was not asked. So because I asked, like, hey, was it your idea to leave Gotham? And she's like, no, I was just told that this was going to happen. So she had to, like, make do with it. <laughs> so unfortunately, I thought, I, I thought it was interesting. Oh, it, that, that kind of goes with the theory that I had um, of that. This was all because of Batman Begins and they wanted Gotham to look yeah, more like it, it did in be. Batman Begins. Yeah. Where cops. So if she was told that 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 kind of adds. Because as I said in the War Games episodes, that was like my theory and that was the theory of everyone at the time. But that's never been like confirmed by anyone. Yeah, I mean, she is pretty stretched thin with all the the duties that she's doing and everything. So I appreciate seeing it. But but I feel like the location wouldn't change her being stretched thin or not. But I can see how like it's a mental thing. Like if you're in Gotham, if you're in the center of Batman's operations, then there is more of a pressure to like be in the thick of it. Well, I feel like she's just, it seems like, I, I mean, I've yet to read issue 76 at the moment, which is when I suppose they'll be wherever they need to be, uh, though they're, they are in a flying command center, that she's just going to focus on Birds of Prey. So that's cutting out a lot. I mean, I'm sure she'll still help other heroes when she needs to. It's yeah. just, you know, she doesn't have to help Batman with the nickel and dime stuff anymore. <laughs> that's very true. That's very true. Uh, moving on to another Gordon, which is the next page. What do you think about his scene with Jim and their discussion? And then I did have a question. Just, uh, there is a point that law and justice are not the same. That's something Batman says. Do you agree with that? Absolutely. We don't always get justice when we work within the law, unfortunately. Uh, and that's not me advocating for breaking the law, but like justice is not always served and received. It's, um, our system is... I think overall, I would say that our legal system is is good, but unfortunately, like it's not perfect, and people escape justice. Um, I didn't have much thoughts on the gym scene. It's like, in fact, I, I thought it was weird that he's like, and I'm going to because I'm like, you weren't really around that much. Like, <laughs> yeah, he just um, like, popped in and war games a couple times. Yeah, like like he hasn't done that much. Like he would show up from time to time, like in hush. He's like. I'm the former commissioner and I say you shouldn't kill Joker because it'll change you. 
like he would show up from time to time to give like sage advice, but yeah, you know, he wasn't a regular character. Yeah. I guess it would just be, it's a significant absence potentially if they hadn't addressed it. Yeah. And I do, I, um, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to see any Jim and Bab stuff in 76 onward for Birds of Prey, but that would be nice. I've been seeing that in a while in this era. Have Have you gotten to the issue where Bab, Babs has a conversation with Jim about being Oracle? Has that happened yet? I don't recall. Okay, then probably not, because I feel like it was sometime around this era. Yeah, so maybe. So, so, maybe, so maybe you will see more maybe Jim and Babs. And then the final relational one uh is catwoman i did not like a lot of this issue but i liked the batman and catwoman scene i obviously it was needlessly dramatic but mm-hmm. come on batman and catwoman are freaking dramatic people yeah. like you know like they're always so melodramatic. one of my favorite issues of catwoman is like when they're like talking about their will they or won't they relationship and deathstroke is like looking through his like sniper scope and he's like rolling his eyes like oh my god like this and so like this, like, but I like that, you know, like it's, it really was a good way to show the emotional toll of war, toll of war games on Bruce. And it's kind of a good indication of where Batman and Catwoman's relationship is in this period. Cause we're in this post hush period where like the dams had broken and Batman and Catwoman were hot for each other again after the books had kind of kept them apart for a while. So uh, it was nice. What I, can I, are we still on Batman and Catwoman? Do you have any thoughts to give? Because I wanted to touch on something. Well, I was just going to say that I'm happy that Batman, at least in this issue, changed his ways because he actually relayed information. Because he go he seeks Catwoman out to talk to her about Black Mask being the leader behind the scenes, the kingpin of crime. And I yeah. feel like he might not have done that in previous issues, especially during war games, who's kind of keeping information that was pertinent yeah. to people uh, hidden. So I did like that though. He still shows his like Patrick self by feeling like every, what was only me, but then cat Selena, like lists off all the dead that were close to her at the hands of black mass. And you're like, there you go. Let us, let us humble Batman once again. Yes. What is your? I don't like how they characterize uh, Tim leaving Gotham. Um, I'd have to reread Robin, but I recall like there's. I think it's Stephanie. The issue of Stephanie. Uh, you see Stephanie Brown's funeral at the beginning of the post-war games issue of Robin, and Tim just basically says that between his dad and everything else, like his heart is like just too much and he needs to get away and uh, other things and he he also needs space from bruce kind of like barbara did for different reasons and that's why he goes away and in this book when bruce is listing everyone going he's like tim lee is leaving too gotham is too dangerous for vigilantes right now it's which is implying that like tim is leaving because like the bat family is wanted and i'm like I don't think that's a fair characterization. And I don't think that that's fair on Tim. It's like saying that Tim is scared. Yeah. Yeah. And then Cass is connected with that. So the same yeah. assumption applies. Yeah. 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 Uh, and I'll talk more about the Tim and Cass stuff when we get to the um, secret files story. Yeah. Uh, did you feel like the revelation of Black Mask as the leader be being known now as the leader was anticlimactic? I didn't even feel like it was a revelation. Like, did we not know this? Like, going we did, but Batman didn't yet know who was behind the scenes. He had like an inkling, but then it was revealed, and it's like, uh aha, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't really consider it a reveal just because, like, you know, it's him learning something that the readers already knew sure. since the final page of War Games, where it's like, I didn't die in the clock tower. I survived. Yeah. Uh, I will say, though, it doesn't make sense yet. It'll be in one of the Secret Files issues that the design of Killer Croc in this issue is wildly different than the one that we'll later see. And I feel like it isn't consistent with that villain in particular, what he looks like. We're really in an era of like the Batman offices not being overseen very well editorial wise because there's stuff like this and then stuff like the next issue really, really, really uh, does not fit in with the Nightwing timeline. Okay. You can tell us all about it and let us move on to that. Do we? I I feel like I don't even care to give a rating, frankly. Is that okay? (laughs) I guess I might give that. um, uh, Are we going out of 10? I forget. Uh, okay uh i guess i would give that a seven out of ten just because i do like that bruce and selena scene okay Selena. Uh, yeah i guess i'll i'll second you but i'm just waiting for the war crimes so then we're moving on to the true epilogue in my opinion batman 634 decompression writer anderson gabrick penciler paul lee inker brian horton colors guy major january 2005 in the living room at wayne manor bruce wayne drinks a glass of whiskey (gasps) While Dick Grayson, who is still recovering from the wound on his leg, takes some tea. Dick admires Bruce's strength, the purpose, and he recalls the few times that he has watched Bruce drink alcohol, and the sight of it fills Dick with fear. They are both accompanied by Alfred, who is drinking some wine. The three of them recall all the past events that ended up with the destruction of Oracle's Watchtower. And it's interesting they call it that, the clock tower. And Black Mask taking control of the entire criminal activity in Gotham. Bruce reflects upon the effects of that death. That death has brought upon them, and Dick realizes that Bruce already knows of his involvement in the death of Blockbuster, though Bruce's mind was thinking about Stephanie Brown. Alfred quickly changes the subject and asks Bruce about Leslie Tompkins, and Bruce replies that she wasn't in good shape when he last saw her at the clinic and that he hasn't talked to her ever since. Dick is curious as to what Bruce did after leaving the clinic, and Bruce tells them that he went out to the streets and took down a weapon dealer and his illicit business. Bruce recalls that after taking care of the thugs, he tried to reach for the intercom to call Oracle and tell her to summon the police, but he stopped as soon as he remembered. Alfred, a lot. Yeah. Alfred asks if Bruce remembered the fact that Barbara's gone or that he is now a wanted criminal as well. Bruce tells him that until that moment, he had not told Robin about the death of Stephanie, and Bruce explains that he tried to tell the truth to Robin, but after the battle of Black Mask and the great efforts they all have been through, uh, Robin who was still and not eager. deserve a chance to say goodbye to his girlfriend. I know. Uh, Robin was still eager, young and strong, and Batman just couldn't reveal the truth to him, and instead he told Tim to go to his family and share some moments with them. After a few hours, Batman tracked Robin and followed him to the East Side Clinic, where Robin was trying to sneak inside to talk to Stephanie. However, it was already too late, and Batman told Robin everything that happened, and despite the hard news, Robin didn't lose control. Of course, days later, Tim's father Jack was murdered, and Tim was completely alone. Dick blames himself for not being present during Tim's time of need, but Alfred replies that he was in no condition to be outside home. Alfred then explains how he managed to find Nightwing after he was shot in the leg and fell unconscious on a fire escape ladder. Alfred listened to Nightwing's call for help, and a few hours later, he located Nightwing and carried him to the, like, like a sack of potatoes, to the mobile Batcave to heal his wounds and take him home. Alfred then reflects on the fact that after the war ended, there were only Bruce, Dick, and himself left in Gotham, which reminds him of the old times that he holds as a dear memory. 
Bruce tells Alfred that the situation isn't exactly as the old times now that the Black Mask has taken control over almost the entire uh, all the gangs in Gotham. Bruce tells him that the Hill gang didn't join Sionis' side and they keep fighting the criminal's control under the leadership of Onyx, who defeated Alexander Kossov during a gang battle between the Odessa mob and the Hill gang. Batman had a conversation with Onyx and she explained to him that the gang won't join Black Mass after he murdered their former leader, Orpheus, and that she's going to keep fighting despite what Batman thinks. Oh, then this. I do want to talk about this. But Batman is worried that Onyx might fail and end up dead or leading the gang to death. But Onyx replied that because Stephanie died trying to impress Batman, it doesn't mean that she would fail as well. Onyx knows what she is doing and she told Batman that he's not responsible for Stephanie's death. So this happens again, but Batman also washes his hands of it to a certain extent. So we can talk about that. Dick agrees with Onyx, but Bruce tells him the conversation he had with Crystal Brown, the mother of Stephanie. Bruce was standing over the grave of Stephanie at the graveyard when Crystal appeared and asked, what was Bruce Wayne doing there? Bruce told her that he was visiting the grave of a young hero, but Mrs. Brown could barely stand hearing the word. She expressed her feelings about the whole situation, her worries of raising a child with a criminal father. And watching her grow to try and emulate the Batman and be like him. Mrs. Brown recalls that Stephanie always pushed really hard trying to fight the good fight. But in the end, all that she has left is a dead daughter and a husband and a grandchild she will never meet. Mrs. Brown blames it all on Batman. I should say a dead husband because that'll come back. Mrs. Brown blames it all on Batman and she calls him a criminal because he breaks the law and drags little girls into his war to their demise. Crystal has a breakdown and admits that she failed her daughter, Stephanie. Bruce admits the same as well, but neither Alfred nor Dick understand what he is actually referring to. Finally, Alfred asks Bruce how he is going to keep working as a vigilante now that the GCBD have orders to shoot him on site. And Bruce tells him that it is going to be like in the very beginning, and he must be very careful. Bruce stands up and tells him that he has some ideas and that while there are still millions of people in Gotham in need of protection, he will protect them with his life as necessary, which fills Dick with renewed hope. I will say I didn't realize that. I mean, I was reading Birds of Prey last month, and I guess I just didn't think that the GCBD had weighed down this level of law and order against vigilantes. I didn't. Was that given to us at the end of War Games, or is it just? I feel. I feel like it was understood. Was there not that page where, like, you hear them say, like, "Shoot all vigilantes on sites"? I just thought that was during War Games, so that just continued. I mean, I, I don't I don't see why they would rescind that order. OK, well, that I thought that, once law and order was said, restored, they would they would go back to that man said, like, I'm taking control of the GCBD. All right, cops, I want you to all run into that meat. Grinder. Yes, yes, we know. We know your thoughts on that. I get, Yeah, I just thought that, oh, it was kind of lifted after that. Things were status quo. No. They didn't trust him. No. But it wasn't. But now it's real bad. It is still soon. Shoot on sight. OK, well, that was my naivete. Okay, I already said we agree. A true epilogue. Bruce drinking concerns. That's interesting and surprising, but he's human. Um, I'll give it to him. Yeah. He, he's at home with his family, and uh, he's 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 had a rough time. He's lost all his allies, and uh, Stephanie's dead, and Onyx is dead. Not that he really like Onyx. Not, Orpheus. Onyx no. Woo! Yeah, yeah. Careful. Yeah, yeah. Orpheus is dead. Not that he like cares because it's like. He focuses more on like, was Stephanie's death my fault? It's like, what about Orpheus? Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, maybe, maybe that's because Stephanie's a child and like a girl. He feels more, you know, responsible yeah. there. But yeah, I think it, it certainly shows he is human after all, you know, that he takes to drink. 
in order to do something yeah to feel quote unquote as normal people do i i, I don't mind it. it it was surprising but yeah. like I don't mind being surprised. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've ever seen him drink, but I do wonder what he's doing as Bruce going out in the town. Is he just like dropping champagne things, I, I think, plants and pretending to drink, but not really drinking? Yeah, I think he's having like non-alcoholic beverages and pretending to be like a little tipsy, like in the movies, like in the Chris Nolan movies. That's what he did. And uh, yeah. Batman Begins. Uh, I do like that this issue catches the reader up. Um, you know, as well as Dick and Alfred, uh, we're kind of with them, you know, what's been going on, kind of sort of what the plan is going forward. Do you feel like Bruce knows about Blockbuster or is there like Dick, he's paranoid that he knows? If I was reading this at the time, I would say that Dick is paranoid, but like eventually like, and it takes like another like year or two, like Bruce does say like, of course I know about Blockbuster, like, you know, and, and you've been feeling bad about it. And, yeah. I'm mad at you for feeling bad. I'm not mad at you for Blockbuster. I'm mad at you for letting it get in the way of you feeling bad or like something like that. It's yeah. just bad communication all around. Because honestly, like it would be a load off of Dick's mind if they could just have a conversation about it. Mm-hmm. But this is a good time for me to say, which I mentioned this in the last episode that I was on. This does not fit in with Nightwing's timeline because Dick is shot yeah. um, at the end of that War Games issue. And the next time he wakes up, he finds out that Stephanie is dead and like that war games has like ended, et cetera, et cetera. And he leaves the Batcave and leaves his Nightwing costume behind. And then the Bat books, like they, they take a break for Nightwing year one. And Dick, you find out that when he left Nightwing behind, he like joined the underworld and like became part of the mafia with his crutches and everything that he was in for a while. Like there is no time for this like scene to happen. Because in the Nightwing title, we're told that immediately after Dick passed out on that roof and Alfred rescued him, he woke up in the Batcave, found out that Stephanie was gone, and, like, leaves the Batcave never to come back. Like, until he becomes Nightwing again, but, like, he, like, goes off. Um, I'd have to look at the issues again, but I know that, like, he and Tarantula have an altercation, and he kind of, like, breaks it off with her for good and says, we have to arrest ourselves for what we did to Blockbuster. And she's not down for that. Sure, I'm sure not, yeah. <laughs> Anytime Nightwing is appearing in the Bat books during these months, like in the, um, I believe, in the Red Hood storyline too, where he still is in his crutches, it's just, it's a weird continuity hiccup that does not make sense. Like, like Killer Croc's appearance, like it should have been coordinated. So we've we've talked a lot about this Tim situation and Stephanie oh, in the yes. hospital and, and Batman. And I think we've we've asked all the necessary questions. So my new question would be, if Batman had this to do over again, do you think he would do the same thing in regard he, to he, not telling Tim in the moment? He does not seem remorseful about it. He he does not seem like I should have this. He's like, he he kind of justifies it when he explains it to himself. I I, I don't buy his justification, but like, he seems to be trying to justify it and believing his like BS. So yeah. I, I think someone should ask him, how would you feel if that was your parents and you were denied the ability to say goodbye to them or something? Yeah, it's true. It's yeah. um, it's also weird that they say a few days later, his dad was dead. So like when we're seeing Tim in identity crisis before Jack dies, Tim is like doing okay in identity crisis. And it's like, Oh, this is Tim. Like, hours after he found out that his ex-girlfriend was murdered 
Yikes. You know, like, again, the continuity is just kind of all over the place oh, here. Wonky. And also, like, that means that War Games and Identity Crisis were really, I mean, they were happening at the same time in the comic book store. We were reading them at the same time. But, like, this was, like, within a week for, like, Batman. Like, he's saying goodbye to Oracle. The clock tower is destroyed. Black Mask almost kills him. And then he's solving Gene Lauren's murder. Mm, yeah. Or, uh, or solving um, Sue Dibney's murder. Gene Loring, yeah. Gene, spoiler alert, Gene Loring did it. The interaction between Mrs. Brown and Bruce at the gravesite. Do you feel like she is speaking some truths that Batman needs to hear since it's from an, uh, kind of an outside party? At least not someone in the Batman family. I, I, I think that she takes it a little far, but I think that I don't think it's completely unfounded either. You're really asking for it, showing up at at the grave as Bruce Wayne after being at the funeral. It's very surprising that um Mrs. Brown hasn't like made the connection. Yeah, I mean she's not a genius like you know her husband is, but she's not an idiot either. Yeah. In contrast, we see Onyx putting the blame solely on Steph's shoulders. What do you think about that? I don't think that's fair. I think Stephanie was set up to fail with the whole war games thing. Like we, we talked about that. Um, and did she ask to like get kidnapped and torch? Well, okay. Cause there's three versions of what happened here. So like, do I, so if I say, do I, is it Steph's fault? What happened? Is it Steph's fault? What happened? If black mass killed her, if black mass was the cause of her death, is that Stephanie's fault? I would say no, because in that case, it's Black Mask's fault. He was a killer. He killed her. Stephanie was trying to help. The war games happened because Batman was not responsible. He left basically matches in a, out in a room full of toddlers. Not that Stephanie's a toddler, but just as a metaphor. So in that scenario, no, it's not Stephanie's fault. If we're going with scenario number two, where, spoiler alert, Leslie Tompkins killed her, then that's not Stephanie's fault either. If we're going with scenario number three, which is the next retcon years later, that actually Stephanie was alive, then I guess it's irrelevant whose fault it was. Sure. It's yeah. really tricky dealing with all of these different, like, it. it it's like Schrodinger's death. Yeah. Yes. I, I. You know, she's a young adult, so I feel like someone is still responsible for her. So I do still... I'm like, well, Batman, you know, he had a part to play. So I, I do, I think Crystal is, yeah, she's heavy, heavy with what she's saying, but I do appreciate that scene and she's a grieving mother. So I felt like it was pretty authentic to what someone in her position might say. I found it interesting. Batman asks Onyx how far she's willing to go in this gang war or I guess protecting and, and going against black mask as if killing were an option. Um, that's just what it felt like when he was asking her that I thought that's a weird phrasing. Are you okay? If she starts killing people, uh, my final question, then of course, if you have any thoughts, um, do you feel like <sighs> maybe this is too simple of a question, but has Leslie gaslit Batman and by extension, the whole bat family? Yeah, absolutely. Well, Again, it depends on what version of the story we're going right. with. With the one we're doing tonight. As as that. it was written now, yes, yeah. she's gaslighting them. As it was written when she faked Stephanie's death, well, she's still gaslighting them in that case. She's gaslighting them in both scenarios, yeah. you know. Do you have any thoughts on Batman 634? 
No, just a much better epilogue. Yeah. Um, Nightwing really should not be there. Uh, they should have had a better... They should have spoke with Devin Grayson, although I have a feeling that they did talk with Devin Grayson and just ignored her because yeah. uh, judging by conversations that Donovan and I had with Devin Grayson years ago, it seemed to be a case of like her trying to be in more coordination with the offices. And sometimes they would just ignore things that she was doing, like plans that she had approved and story lines that she had approved and they would like go over them. So I don't know. She she'd be, she be, it would be good to revisit with her sometime. And, yeah. uh, cause she, did, did you not interview her recently? Am I remembering on? Oh, exactly. maybe, maybe at the end of her arc. Um, cause she, she leaves around infinite crisis. Oh, well, I mean, she leaves during infinite, like it's, um, like one year later is, is the end of her run. Yeah. That's when she's replaced with, I believe Bruce, Bruce Jones, maybe. Okay. Nightwing has some weird years there. I guess, yeah. Uh, great out of 10? Maybe eight. Um, I don't like things that happen in the issue, but I thought it was a well-written and well-drawn issue. And it, it kind of gave me a better epilogue feeling than the previous issue did. Yeah, yeah I would say maybe an eight or an 8.5. Okay, moving mm-hmm. on to there were a couple secret files and origins. Uh, I'm going to speed through these. Um, so first there was the villains. Batman Villains, Secret Files and Origins, 2005. And there is, as usual, you know, there's stories in there and sometimes they have different kind of news-esque files. So Stranger in Paradise by Bruce Jones. Uh, There's certainly a focus on Red Hood and how he is messing with Black Mask's empire. And then Black Mask, who has all of these actual masks that have been created by an artist, uh, goes through which villains are in or out of the picture. So it gives us kind of an update as to what the state of Gotham is like and which side they may be on, if they're on his or not, or Hush's maybe. So it's all through Black Mask's uh, point of view. I yeah, wasn't it's aware basically that Red Hood and Black Mask intersected at all. He, he was in the Red Hood storyline. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's been years since, but I remember like uh, Red Hood was messing with Black Mask stuff in that storyline. Okay, if if I recall. Um, but yeah, the, this story was basically, hey, these these are the villains. In case you need to know, like, and the, that's what these secret files were for. They they were like one hundred ones. Yeah. In the nineties, when I was a kid, like, and they would do secret files, I would usually pick them up, and they were good ways to like get to know characters that I wasn't reading. That's how I found out a lot of stuff about like Superman and the flashes and stuff like that. Between this, there was a, or at least I put it in between in my notes. There's a Batman 642 story breaking the skin by Anderson Gabrick where killer croc <laughs> completely differently divine designed completely differently designed no that works uh he frees himself from tetch's control because he was being controlled in the previous issue that we talked about uh he's also dying batman tries to save him shoves a syringe in his mouth and i think that's mostly what i would have to say about that do you have any thoughts on batman 642 it was it's kind of weird that it's in this trade because I really don't feel like it's connected to any of the, like, it's not part of war games. It's not part of war crimes. It's just kind of like, yeah, maybe it's because it's just kind of there to the point where like I texted you earlier today and I was like, are we covering this? It's in the trade, but I didn't see it in the first draft of the notes. Yeah. And I was like, and I, and I thought maybe, and, and I was like, oh, it's superfluous. That's probably why it's not on there. I'm like, no, nope, yeah. we're covering it. But well, just for barely, me to tell you that it's there. Yeah. 
In fact, I'm looking at my notes and I have nothing in the notes section for that. I um, I have Batman 642 written down and there's nothing <laughs> there's it. nothing under it. So yeah. I, I do. Yeah. I like this killer it. croc design more so than the other one, I will say. My preferences. And then we have Batman Allies, Secret Files and Origins, 2005. We have two stories here. A Friend in Need by Russell Lissau. The synopsis from the publisher is, or I think, uh, when he is surrounded by police while investigating a crime, Batman chooses to flee rather than fight them. Rene Montoya arrives and scolds the police for focusing on Batman instead of securing the crime scene. Batman muses that he still has one ally left in Gotham, and when he is able to solve the crime, he gives Montoya the tip. So, yeah, it, it mainly was setting up kind of a liaison in in the presentation of Montoya um, so that Batman can still be connected with the GCPD. I would say that was the main point of that. Yeah. And then finally, finally, I did reach out to Big D. He said he likes this. That's all he said. I tried to get him to write an email. Didn't. He doesn't care about us. Taking Sides by Anderson Gabrick. Uh, Backer and Robin discuss the fallout of war games. They are called, they probably call it that too. They are called to a robbery at the Natural History Museum and realize the penguin is robbing himself for the insurance money and publicity. They go home to watch the news and are shocked when Arturo Rodriguez decries Batman for using children in his crusade, including the now dead Stephanie Brown. Thoughts, uh, especially about this discussion uh, about Batman between these two. Uh, I, I liked it, and it kind of shows where Tim is at mentally with Batman right now and him needing some space. And also, yeah, no, I agree with him that, like, Cass does hold Batman in a very high regard, and it is hard to criticize, you know, Batman around somebody like Cass. Um, I thought that that was a fair, and I don't know if, you, if you're if you up to this in um, the Cass's books right now, but um, immediately after War Games, both her and Tim are off of Blue Haven. I don't remember why Cass went... But, you know, like the right, the editorial need an excuse to get everyone out of Gotham. But that that whole era began with kind of like a storyline that was weaving in and out of uh, Robin and Batgirl, where um, uh, it was just Tim and Cass, like, find the Blue Haven underworld. And I liked that era. It, it was fun. You know, like sometimes they would share a storyline and other times like Tim would have his own storyline in his book. and Cass would have in her book. Sometimes it would come together. So the, reading this reminded me of that. And um it was an interesting to see their relationship kind of develop more there too. And when I say, well, I don't mean romance, but like this is a Robin and Batgirl relationship that's different than the one that we had in the bronze age with, you know, uh, Dick and Babs. So, and one of the first storylines that there were, were they were investigating rumors that blockbuster was alive, but I believe it was penguin using like a fake blockbuster as a figurehead. It's been a while since I read it. One thing about this story that has never been addressed. Um, they don't need to address it now because we've had like crises and like new 52 and like, you know, convergence and all this stuff, changing continuity. But um, Stephanie Brown is outed on public TV. And in a few years, Stephanie Brown is revealed to be alive and she comes back and she goes to college and she has a secret identity again. And this is never addressed. Like nobody at, Gotham University ever goes up to Stephanie and be like, weren't you the girl that was on the TV for being Robin and you died? This is never, ever, ever explained by anyone. So um, just uh, that's interesting. And um, the guy in me that likes like chronologies and like everyone's ages, 
took note that Stephanie was 16 in this. Um, because for a while, I thought that she was older than Tim, and she was kind of meant to be older than Tim when she first appeared, but slowly, like, they were kind of presented to be, like, the same age. But uh, just that that was something that I noticed at the time when I read it and that I noticed now. How did somebody find out about Stephanie Brown being spoiler, do you think? Um, Clue Master. Uh, the, we deal with this in war crimes. Oh, okay. Clue, Clue Master's colluding with them. Oh, okay. So he's the one who fed information. Yeah, yeah. This is okay. like Clue Master, Rodriguez, and... <laughs> This was a lot more confusing when I read it now than when I read it like in two thousand and like five or whenever this came out. Like, but like I forget of how closely they were colluding with Black Mask, or if like he was colluding with Arthur Brown separately, then he was colluding with Black. But, but either way, like yes, Arthur Brown was the one. Lead, yeah, he was okay. the one that like told them it was Stephanie. Gotcha. Do you feel like this is in character? for Cass to almost take the side of Batman over Stephanie. Uh, She is in a way blaming Stephanie. She says she was my friend. She messed up and she died. I think that as much as Cass likes Stephanie, she never fully trusted Stephanie to handle herself in the battlefield. If that makes sense. Like she didn't hold Stephanie. She held Stephanie out high regard as a human, but not as a warrior. And, of course, Cass is going to side with Patrick. Is, is she blinded? I mean, Donovan's going to be rolling his eyes. But is she blinded by deal. her? No, 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 yeah, no. I know. You always do this. No, no. <laughs> because it doesn't seem like she puts any of the blame on Batman. That's Cass, though. She doesn't blame. And this is also, like, what uh, they were talking about in the email that we read, where, like, we were in this really weird period where like everyone is blaming Stephanie throughout like all the titles and it was kind of uncomfortable. Yeah. So I think that cast is just one of those many voices. Yeah. Um, but I would honestly say that it's in character for her. She's defensive of Batman. Yeah. And she kind of had the attitude that like Stephanie couldn't handle. Like, is, is there not that one issue where like they're about to go in the fight criminals together and Cass punches Stephanie so that, like, Stephanie's knocked out and Stephanie yep. won't go into a fight with her. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, Tim calls her. I appreciate Tim in this in this issue. You know, it's for you. Batman can do no wrong. And that's why you yeah. have to be. And so, I mean, uh, I appreciate him. I appreciate that he is, mm-hmm. I think, considering more, like, who who's at fault and, and, the, and the whole situation. I will say it is relatable to not want to, you know, talk to somebody about somebody else knowing you like them. Like there's currently this somebody, this person (laughs) that I do not like. And Mm. I was with uh, a friend for coffee and she was asking me about it. And I was like, well, do you like him? Or like, what are your thoughts? She's like, yeah, I think he's great. And I'm like, okay, well, I am not, you keep your opinion. I am not going to talk about that person, you know, because I don't Somebody else needs to form their own opinion. I don't need to be talking about. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah, there might be some bias on the other side of like, these are the things that I don't like about this person. And then my friend likes him. So what am I supposed to do? If I thought that um, Harold was um, responsible for Professor Middleton's death, I yeah. would not um, go to Talk you to and, and, and air those grievances to yeah, you. See? So it is related. Yeah. yeah. 
I, I just picked two names out of the hat. Like, I, I know. Was like, what weird I was like, Professor Middleton. <laughs> Why did Harry kill Professor Middleton? Professor Cheapskate, yeah. Yeah. Who we met at BGSU. I know. Talking about monies, I think. Yeah. Okay. That's it. I don't think we rated any of those little mini ones, so I think that's okay. So we are in it. We're finishing this up. This is War Crimes. Part one to the Victor Go the Spoils. And this is Detective Comics 809. Writer Anderson Gabrick, Pencil Pete Woods, Inker BIT, Colors Jason Wright, October 2005. Down on the tracks of the subway train of Gotham City, Batman is questioning the leader of the Odessa mob, Alexander Kosov, about Black Mask's next movement, but she refuses to tell Batman anything. Batman ties her hands and feet together on her back and hangs her from the ceiling of the tunnel. As the subway train comes towards her, Alexandra panics and gives Batman a full confession of Black Mask's activities. Batman saves her before the train crushes her, and he removes her glass eye as a punishment for all the evil deeds that her gang committed during the gang war. Batman weaves Alexandra in the darkness and warns her to keep insects out of the empty eye socket. Reporter Arturo Rodriguez stars... In his own TV show where he exposes some of the most relevant crime cases in Gotham, and this time he has brought a guest to his show, a man called Aaron Black, that wants to address the outcome of the gang war that destroyed Gotham. Black starts explaining, I wish they would come up with like more distinct names, but Black starts explaining that the criminals and the vigilantes are not the only ones to blame for the situation, but the GCPD is also guilty of letting things get out of control. Black also talks about the death of Stephanie Brown, as he has researched a lot about the case. He explains that Brown was a vigilante known as Spoiler, and that she was also the latest Robin, and he blames Batman for allowing kids to undertake his crusade and cost their lives in the meantime. However, he explains that the death of Stephanie happened under mysterious circumstances and that she might still be alive, if not for all the events that evolved during the gang war. Aaron Black asked the people of Gotham to gather together at a memorial for all the people fallen during the gang war. That night, Bruce keeps a close eye on the meeting that Black Mask was supposed to go to, but the criminal never showed up. Back in the Batcave, Bruce examines the information on the Bat computer when Alfred delivers Bruce a videotape sent to him. The tape was a recording of the earlier show where Arturo Rodriguez talked to Aaron Black. Bruce recalled all the past events until the death of Stephanie, and after watching the whole video, he decides to go out and investigate who is responsible for leaking information about Stephanie's death and for sending him the tape as it is obvious that it must be someone who knows that he is Bruce and Batman. Batman goes to see Leslie Tompkins at the Eastside Clinic, but upon arriving, he learns that, oh my gosh, she quit, and she has gone away for a few days. After talking to a nurse, Batman learns that Leslie and her personal assistant Vera shared some sort of secret about Stephanie's death. Batman also learns that the files from Stephanie Brown have been retrieved by Leslie's assistant, and soon he goes to see her. He arrives at her place, and when he enters her room, he finds her dead body, crucified to the wall, and written with bat rings, I believe, and written in blood the word snitch. Batman notices the folder with the confidential information about Stephanie was in the bed, but a quick glimpse makes him realize that the last pages are missing. Batman leaves the place and goes to Leslie's home, which is utterly empty, and Batman doesn't quite understand why Leslie would leave in that manner, as if escaping from something or someone. Batman returns to the crime scene and takes a closer look, after which he realizes that Leslie's assistant was stabbed in the wrists ankles and chest with some of his own batterings and after removing them and cleaning the message written in blood batman puts the body back in the wall but this time he places knives instead of discarded batterings listen i had a 
major issue with what was going down here. Someone is trying to frame him and Batman believes that it must be Black Mask. The next morning, Bruce Wayne goes to the memorial organized by Aaron Black. And after the whole day of looking closer to the man or into the man, Batman thinks he knows who Aaron Black really is. As Black leaves the gathering, Batman approaches him and tells him to stop pretending as he already knows the truth. From behind Batman, a voice tells him he is also he also knows who, quote unquote, Batman really is. The person posing as Batman turns around and discovers that Joker is aiming a gun at him and laughing maniacally. I don't know if that was that uh, DC Wikia's recap. It was. Yeah, they, they they spoiled the um the reveal that it was an imposter. They did. Yeah, I was like, that transition is a bit odd. Yeah, because there's a Batman. And he starts beating up on Aaron Black. And you're like, what's happening? And then another Batman appears. And Joker. And, 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 that, and yeah. as me reading this at the time, I thought that it was Batman in the cliffhanger mm-hmm. when the Joker says, I know who you really are. And I'm <gasps> like... The Joker, because somebody sent something the Wayne Manor, and they know, so they so they know who Batman is. So I was like, did the Joker do this? And I had to wait till part two to see that that was so. But DC Wikia, uh, they they're not going to keep us in. Yeah, they they just went for it. Yeah. Although it, it is hard to recap that without like without either lying or giving away like you know the part two. Yeah, and I will say that even though the writer of the wikia said that alexandra had a glass eye that i think it must have been some other sort of stone because he does say that it would feed several families and that's why he snatches it from her eyeball her socket i guess i'm silly i did not know that the gang war only went on for three days because boy did that feel like weeks it was weeks for us (laughs) it Um, really felt like it well, Did it, you it know was, that it was three days? I feel like it was longer based on like the school shooting and everything that went down. Yeah. But like, I would honestly have to go back and like look through. And yeah. if I was in my 20s, I would, but I'm in my late 30s now. And I'm like, eh, I don't tough. have the time to like, yeah, yeah, yeah. is it really important for me to fact check this right now? Like, yeah. I'm like, if Batman says it's three days, I'll, I'll, I'll allow it. <laughs> yeah. It, it was. Uh, there's some disbelief on my side. I will say that. I, 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 I'm kind of with you on that because I remember a lot more transitions, especially around Act 1. Yeah. Like, I can buy Acts 2 and 3 being three days maybe, but... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Let me see if I can find this. <laughs> this is where you're going to talk about uh, the nurse. The ner- I do want to talk about that. My first point is about Arturo. During the gang war, he was abducted. This is uh, Batman narrating. During the gang war, he was abducted by Black Mask and forced to record his atrocities. And he blames me. Go figure. This is literally bad. I don't think Batman would say go figure. Once one of my biggest supporters, how far things have come. My question was, does Batman not give Arturo more credit when talking about how he doesn't support him any longer? Because it felt like he was leaving out some facts. I do remember Arturo, like in war games, did turn on Batman really quickly. Like after the school shooting, after he's like, well, shooting. yeah, yeah, he's like, well, Batman, like, you know, it sucks now. And I'm like, like, were, were you not like the biggest Batman pusher like a few pages ago? <laughs> like he's a great man. But it's just interesting, this transition that, you know, he's abducted and forced to record the bad things that Black Mask is doing. He blames Batman. Like, I don't know. that. I, I, I never connection. got the sense that he blamed Batman. For all I think that, he was yeah. pretty anti-Batman before that. Yeah. And Black Mask abducted him and he was like, hey, I like being alive. Let's make a deal so I get to be alive. Yeah. It was just, yeah, very interesting. Well, we'll move on. 
I really didn't like this. I don't think that Batman would do this. So I guess, you know, what your thoughts are. Batman really messing with that crime scene. I found it disturbing. He's cleaning things, making it so that he is not going to be implicated and leaves her hanging. I have mixed feelings about it because number one, when he left the crime scene in the first place, I was like, what are you doing? That's just going to make it worse for you. Then he's like, oh, yeah. Then he goes back and cleans them like, "Okay." I would be okay if he would have just taken the batterings out and cleaned the snitch stuff. But then like to set her back up with like alternative weapons, I thought that that was when it went too far. Like as opposed to leaving her on the bed or dropping her off at the, well, he can't drop her off anymore. Like because the cops are mad at him, but I'm glad that he got rid of the stuff that implicated himself. Yeah. It it, it was weird. Just, just take her off the wall, putting her back on the wall. That was uh that was something. Yeah, I feel like the the Batman that I do like is one which or who treats victims with dignity, alive or dead. And I did not see that here. Like letting their um, ex-boyfriends spend their final moments with them before they die. I mean, I'll ask, I think, later on about Batman's methods in this particular story. And I also do have some questions about Arturo. I think I'll say that for the next one. I think those were the three things that I had on this particular issue. Any thoughts from you? Um, Just I remember reading this from the stands and it felt like, I mean, this had to have been planned during war games because like some of the stuff is set up in war games like, you know. Arturo and Black Mask working together because because that's a reveal. It looks like he's just a hostage in the Clock Tower chapter, but then like having that kind of collusion, that's kind of set up there. As is um, what Leslie Tompkins does that we find out in Part Four. But otherwise, like this storyline feels like almost an apology for War Games. Like, hey, let's deal with things that we messed up and like address some of those. And it feels less bloated um than war games too because it's like only four parts so i liked it at the time um i was hoping it would reveal that stephanie was alive but it didn't i have to i had to wait a few more you know years for that and too bad orpheus doesn't get a similar uh treatment nope like orpheus morpheus okay yeah so so disposable that i accidentally called him onyx i know seriously Yeah, like that that's how much he was on everyone's mind. Poor guy. Okay, well, we'll move on to part two, minor discrepancies. This was in Batman 643, same cover date. Writer Bill Willingham, penciler Giuseppe Caramoncoli, inker Sandra Hope, and colorist Jason Wright. Aaron Black was apparently attacked by Batman when Joker appeared and challenged Batman. They start fighting and beating each other until the real Batman appears and tries to stop them both from killing each other. Batman attacks the Joker first, the real Batman, I guess, to eliminate the most dangerous person on the scene. But the imposter Batman seizes the chance to run away. Batman knocks the Joker unconscious. He hesitates for a moment and then decides what to do. Uh, He tells Aaron Black to get somewhere safe before the Joker recovers. And then Batman starts chasing down the imposter. Meanwhile, Arturo Rodriguez is having a conversation with Crystal Brown about her future appearances on his show, where she's going to tell the audience the story of her daughter, Stephanie, and how she was killed during the gang war. And he really wants some waterworks from her. The imposter Batman climbs to a rooftop and takes off the disguise, revealing himself to be Black Mask. He calls some of his men to pick him up at the place where he is, but he wasn't able to tell them where that place is because he lost track of the location during the chase in which he believes to have lost Batman. What is that? 
However, Batman jumps at him from behind at the same moment, and they start fighting. Black Mask tries to stand his ground against the Dark Knight, but Batman is able to overpower the crime lord with ease. Before delivering the final blow, Batman tells Black Mask to remove the costume, but the criminal takes out a gas grenade and uses it against Batman, who tries to put on his gas mask. But in the meantime, Black Mask again manages to escape for good. Bruce goes back to the Batcave and tries to solve the mystery of the disappearance of Leslie Tompkins and Stephanie Brown's medical records from the clinic, along with the death of Leslie's assistant. Alfred suggests that maybe he can find useful information using his unique detective skills that he's just rediscovered. And after a quick lunch break provided by the butler, Bruce finds that the medical records about the medications administered the night of Stephanie's death were altered. I would almost call that inventory <laughs> rather than medical records, but we'll go with it. Uh, we're altered. And he I don't deduces- think Bill Willingham works at hospitals. <laughs> and he deduces that someone let Stephanie die deliberately. Bruce's anger gets out of control and he starts training with his punching bag until it breaks. <sighs> Later, the manager of WBGK is waiting for Arturo Rodriguez to show up, and when the man finally does, he demands an explanation for the lack of important interviews on the show. Rodriguez explains that Aaron Black has disappeared from his radar and that he just has Crystal Brown as a replacement. However, the manager shows Rodriguez that Aaron Black has not disappeared as he is giving an interview to Winona Chen over at Channel 7. Black, who has taken over the alias of... The reformer tells that he was attacked by two Batmen and that he believes that there might be many more of them prowling the city. He also states that he was offered protection from Rodriguez's station, but despite that, he was almost killed by Joker and the Batman. Lastly, Black questions the various people that benefited from the gang war, such as Black Mask, Commissioner Aikens, and Rodriguez himself. As a result of this, the media tries to get a statement from Commissioner Aikens, who refuses to talk to any of the journalists. That night, Batman goes to Carlos nightclub, a den for various sorts of criminals, and enters through the main door. As he does that, many miniature robots enter the place and locate themselves on various key points of interest and start recording the audio inside the place. Batman tells the thugs that he's looking for Black Mask, Joker, Leslie Tompkins, and Aaron Black, and soon he starts beating all the thugs. However, a few minutes later, Batman leaves the place, allowing the thugs to think that they were victorious over him. Batman goes away on the Batmobile and calls Alfred to start recording the conversations of the thugs at the nightclub as the plan was to make them talk about all they know of the situation. Okay. Question number one about Arturo. Perhaps this happened betwixt the end of War Games and this, but he seems really unsympathetic, especially towards Crystal. He seems, I mean, even... As this TV personality, we knew him as a man on the streets, you know, kind of lower on the the the, the mm-hmm. hierarchy. He just seems completely different than what we were reading or the person we were reading who cared about things in war games. What happened? Uh, he wasn't a very well-developed character, but I would say the whole man on the street thing, like he's his stardom grew after he was reporting on the front line of war games. So, like, that's what happens. That's why, like, he's the marquee, like, newsman now. As we find out, he made some deals with Black Mask in order to stay alive during the hostage situation. So they've been colluding. I think that that's part of it. Um, I wouldn't say he's changed. I would just say that we're learning more about him. And what we're finding out about him is that he's not a very um, honorable person, as you would say. He's, you know, just in it for ratings, just in it for himself, you know, and self-grandizing. Yeah, I guess I I wouldn't have 
said that of him or called him a muckraker as the next issue does when we were first reading about him. But yeah, I suppose an interaction with Black Mask would change you and maybe he feels like he's sold his soul to the devil. And so now it's like, well. I don't even think he feels like he sold his soul to the devil. I just think he made a deal in the situation he was in. He just seems to be living in it with it or is he thriving with it? I think he feels like he's thriving. Wow. Okay. Okay. I, I, I don't see any remorse from him at all. I would agree. Yeah. I would agree. Yeah, but he doesn't I, see this as a deal with the devil. He sees it as like, I want to survive. Let me make a deal with you. And I don't think he feels too bad about it. Okay. I mean, he's certainly, you know, like plotting this innocent woman's death. You know, uh, uh, Stephanie's mom. It's weird calling her Crystal for me because like, yeah. uh, so this storyline is actually the first time that she's referred to as Crystal Brown. She was Agnes before this. Oh. But uh, they uh, they changed her name during the storyline. Because I don't think that they knew her first name because her first name wasn't said very often because most of the characters that she would interact with would be Stephanie who would call her mom. Mm. Do you think you would lose your life to save others? Or would you go the path of Arturo and save your life? Man, I mean, that's acting like that there's two choices. Like the path of Arturo, like he's just reveling in it. We don't know what we would do until we're faced with that situation. We can never say it because there's that primal fight or flight instinct. I would like to think that I would lay down my life to help others. Yeah. Just, I, I mean, guess, knowing what would happen, you know? Yeah. If you're not I mean, a controlled black mask. Again, our terror doesn't seem to mind. <laughs> I, well, yeah, that's that's what he, shocks he's me. A, yeah, he, he's a willing participant. I'm, I'm surprised that it's shocking you because, again, like he wasn't a very well-developed character. Like we didn't see him like. But he seemed order. like a decent human every time we saw him in war games. Seemed like a human in war games to me. OK, maybe not a decent human, but a human. I mean, he turned on Batman very fast. But then For again, reason, you, 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 you turn on Batman every episode and you're not working with Black Mask. Are well, you when Batman Black walks Mask? out with a young? No, I'm not. When Batman walks out cradling a dead teenager, I'd turn on him, too. Like, what have you done? What have you done? I, Just like I, Spider-Man, I, I think, too. Maybe that's maybe that's why he turned on Batman so fast was not because of uh, morality, but because, oh, this could be a good angle for ratings. Jeez, I could exactly. I could package this. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Okay, we'll move on. Batman explains in the midst of the rooftop fight with Black Mask why Black Mask was able to get close to defeating him and even says, like, all you villains are the same. You think that you get close, but da-da-da-da-da. Do you feel like this explanation is more to the fans? Is this more a a meta-commentary of when people ask, like, should he have gotten close to defeating Batman? And Batman's like, I was tired. I haven't eaten. I've been stretched thin. Yeah. And he's like, that's why you were able to. Yeah. Okay. Very nakedly. So, yes. Nakedly. Donovan, is that you? (laughs) Now now the word naked automatically means Donovan. Like, yeah. um, Just, yeah. Like, no, very. Like, I'm even the first time I read this, I was like, oh, wow. Yeah. This is written for the message board fans. Like, absolutely. Like all the people who said, why did Batman almost die at the end of War Games? He could have taken Black Mask. Like mm. this was, oh, actually. And that's what I meant when I said before that, like, some of this feels like an apology for War Games almost, like, mm. and stuff like this. Yeah. And then my final question was just about, this is the moment where he sort of washes himself of the blame. When he's when he's punching the punching bag, is that in this issue? Is that? 
He's like, hooray, Stephanie's death isn't my fault, but whose fault is it? I still rightfully carry a lot of the blame for what happened during the gang war, but not this, not her, not anymore. Yeah, that's the, 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 the because he says he got I got Stephanie to Leslie's clinic in time to save her. I still don't think that that's fair. Too clean. I, I would and, and and again, it really depends upon like what our reality is. Is the reality that Black Mass killed Stephanie, and if Black Mass killed Stephanie, is that Batman's fault, or did Leslie kill Stephanie, and is that Batman's fault, or did Stephanie survive, which is the final reality, and is it Batman's fault that she almost died? Yeah. I'd say that Batman has some blame for kicking off the whole War Games thing with Stephanie. So to call himself completely blameless, he treated Stephanie bad and Stephanie reacted in a way that caused war games, but ultimately it was his fault. Now, I'm a believer is that when someone kills someone else, it's the killer's fault, not like, you know, this person that drove the killer to like, if if a guy became a serial killer because his ex-wife, you know, like burned down his car or something, then it's not the ex-wife's fault that like the guy killed someone, it's the killer's fault. So like, if Black Mass killed Stephanie, it's not Batman's fault, but Batman still has some responsibility for Stephanie overall. And it's really weird how he's so like loudly disowning this, whereas like when Joker killed Jason, Batman still blamed himself and held himself responsible. I think the truth is something like very, very nuanced, but Batman yeah. being so like, it's not my fault is kind of unbecoming. I think things are, which is interesting because, you know, in the email Shana was bringing up about heroes being black and white um, or having that law and order, or I made me misinterpret what she was saying there, but I feel like the hero world is very gray. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Uh, any other comments on part two? Not, not really. A, a lot of the points about this storyline kind of weave into it because it's a very like, it feeds into itself. Like most of our thoughts will probably be at the end. Okay. So part three, a consequence of truth, detective comics, eight, 10 writer, Anderson, Gabrick, Pensler, Pete Woods, Inker, B I T and colors, Jason Wright. Again, same cover date after the memorial arranged by Aaron black, black mask, starts planning his next move. In the meantime, Batman pays his respects to Stephanie Brown at the memorial at the site of hundreds of people. Batman then leaves the place and contacts Alfred to learn more about the thugs' conversation at Carlos. Alfred informs him that the thugs had no clue about Leslie Tompkins or Joker's whereabouts, but they seem to be informed about Aaron Black and Black Mask's latest activities. The information led Batman to Winona Chen, the main anchor woman from the Channel 7 News, the main competition of Arturo Rodriguez and Channel 8. Batman spots Chen as she walks to the rooftop of Channel 7, along with three bodyguards, and he uses a smoke battering to eliminate the men protecting her. He grabs Chen, takes her to a different rooftop where they can talk without restrictions. Jen is afraid that Batman might kill her, but Batman explains that Black Mass is the one who has been posing as him and killing people. He also tells her that he only wants to know how to find Aaron Black. But before revealing that information, Chen wants something from him in exchange, which we don't learn about until later. And I have a question about Aaron Black is sitting alone in his apartment watching a picture of his family watching, looking at a picture. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. Well, looking at a picture of his family during one of her daughter's birthdays, looking at a picture of his family during one of his daughter's birthdays, and he sheds a tear of sorrow. 
Batman arrives and finally uncovers Aaron Black as Arthur Brown, <gasps> a.k.a. the Clue Master, who was returned to Gotham after his deadly accident on a mission of the Suicide Squad. Brown reveals that he barely made it out alive from the accident and that while recovering, all he could think of was his daughter, Stephanie. As soon as he recovered, he returned to Gotham to see her and he found out that she was killed during the gang war. Batman wants Brown's help finding Stephanie's missing medical records, but Brown reveals that his ex-wife, Crystal, is going to make a big reveal soon. Just then, Arturo Rodriguez starts broadcasting his show, Taking Sides with Arturo, in which he has Crystal Brown for a special interview. However, Arturo tries to force unwanted answers about Stephanie's death from Crystal, and shortly after, Batman appears on set and attacks Arturo and Crystal. He starts telling them that Stephanie was worthless and that her death was well-deserved. Both of them try to attack Batman, but he overpowers them both until someone grabs Arturo from behind and tosses him away from Batman. The person that tossed Arturo was, in fact, the real Batman, and he rips off the mask, I will say it's a very disturbing scene, from the fake Batman, revealing once again to be Black Mask. Batman tells Black Mask to give up the medical records he stole, but the crime lord instead burns the corner of the folder before being stopped by Batman. Black Mask then runs away from the building, and Batman tries to follow him without success. Upon returning to the set, Batman watches as Crystal Brown rips the medical records to pieces, and she explains that it doesn't matter how her daughter died, but the fact that she is dead is all that matters to her. Later, Batman keeps searching for Black Mask, unaware that he was taken by the Joker, who is holding the crime lord and pointing a gun at him. Black Mask hits the Joker, takes the weapon from him, and tries to turn the situation around, but the gun he took was, of course... A toy gun that shoots a bong flag, and he fails on his attempt. Joker pulls out a real gun and shoots Black Mask in the leg. As Black Mask crawls on the ground, Joker explains that he has been chasing Black Mask all along. Since he took the job, he likes more than anything else in the world. He took this job from Joker, and that is killing Robins. I only killed the one. I know. Well, he <laughs> wanted to make it a pastime of his. Okay. Okay. How shocked were you? At the reveal when you were a young whippersnapper, Josue, picking this yeah. issue up. I was in my Aaron Black. 19 or 20. Like You not just that. got out of diapers. How did you feel? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I say pretty much. Not that shocked. It, it kind of made sense, like, you know, with the appearance and everything, you know, and uh, obviously his, uh, I've never actually read his death in Suicide Squad, but I had heard about it. So I was like, oh, yeah, it makes sense that he'd come back. Um, I do like Batman being like, and that's why you sent me the tape. And he's like, I never sent you any tape. And yeah. that it's nice to see Batman like kind of like lost because he's always like, oh, I was six steps ahead of this thing or that thing, which is why like okay. it annoys me in part mm-hmm. four when, like, he, when he like tells Alfred, I knew the secret to this mystery all weeks ago. I just decided not to like say anything. And it's like, he didn't know. You were telling Arthur Brown, you sent me the tape. Long answer to that question. No, I was, I, I was not shocked. And it's, it was actually kind of nice to bring him back for something like this. I was shocked. In oh, really? I didn't know. Oh. I didn't know. I could tell that I was like, oh, well, it's someone that Batman knows because he's saying, like, you seem familiar, the raspy voice. I'm like, who could it be? Who could it be? The face. I'm looking at the scarred face. I don't know. I don't know. And then, yeah, it was Arthur Brown. I was like, oh, that makes sense now. So I like it. I think it makes sense. But yeah, I was shocked. Yeah. And they don't, um, he does not reunite with his daughter until um, the very end. In fact, you covered this on your podcast years ago when, when you were just out of diapers. Oh. Like in the first, like uh, Stephanie and um, oh, Stephanie's yeah. title mm-hmm. at the very end, because 
he was presumed dead and came back and then she's presumed dead and come back. So like, yeah, they don't come together until I, I think it's like the last arc of her Brian Q. Miller book. A reunion of sorts. Yeah. And I, and I think he still looks like this. Um, doesn't look like this anymore because of like, you know, continuity changes. Yeah. yeah. Or, or maybe plastic surgery. Maybe he got Tommy Elliott. Oh. I will say this, this right here. Where like Batman's like digging into his mouth in order to rip open his uh yeah rip off his face. I will say that that was uh disturbing for me. Are you surprised that Crystal Agnes Brown destroyed <laughs> <laughs> destroyed the I, I didn't even tell you her maiden name. You would have added that in there because like when we first meet her, she's Agnes Dallinger. So like Crystal Ooh. Agnes Brown Dallinger. I think Dallinger would go first. But are you surprised she destroys the files? No, because um, I, I get her mental state of mind where it's like knowing the answer is not going to give you any comfort one way or another. Also, I'm wondering if she already knows those files have been out there and they've been passed around. And even like um, Arthur saying like, oh, my ex-wife is about to like make this announcement on TV. Does that mean that like they've been colluding too? Or does he just know that because he's been talking to Arturo? You know what I mean? And if he knows that because he's been talking to Arturo, does that mean that he knows about, like, Black Mask is about to kill his wife? Which, uh, there's kind of a lot with the whole, like, you know, Black Mask, Arturo, Crystal Brown, Joker plan, where, like, I need to, like, read this again to understand it more. I feel like Uh, Arturo is playing both sides, but Arthur's only playing his own and going yeah i don't think arthur is connected to black mask at all but but he knew about that what his wife was going to say on tv maybe he wasn't colluding with his wife but like and maybe arturo didn't tell him that like he was going to kill crystal Uh, i don't think crystal agnes dallinger brown i don't think arturo would have revealed that and i yeah i i I don't i don't think arthur would have been down for that plan either I don't know like, that he actually knew what she was going to say because she came in thinking that the that she was going to talk about one thing and then Arturo started bombarding yeah. with questions. And then the last question before it all happened is like, who is Batman? Yeah, yeah. Cause it's it's set up that like she was gonna reveal Batman's identity, but then Batman killed her. Like that that's the frame up. Yeah. I I mean there's some confusing. So I so I guess yeah. she's not yeah. So when I say is she colluding with them, I guess she wouldn't be, because then she'd be colluding her own death, which I don't yeah. think she's a part of. I think she but is. but I I totally get her destroying the files. Yeah. It's I think she's completely separate, um, an ignorant third party of what's going yeah. on. Ignorant of what's going on. Yes, I mean I was shocked, shocked that she did it because kind of answering the question of how and why. But you know the point stands. Yeah, she's dead. That's the only thing that really matters. It's not like the information is going to bring her back. Though I think in Batman's mind, it's about justice again. Right? There's- he wants the person to pay for what happened to her. I mean, and, and there's been some real life parallels because, as I mentioned, God, so when we started doing war games, um, some people who I know they lost a family member in real life, and there has been speculation over how it happened. With some family members clinging to one theory, thinking that like, if we find out this answer, if we find out it was this, this might make it feel better, and other family members are ultimately accepting of no, it doesn't matter how it happened. Like nothing's going to bring her back. So I, I, I kind of get that. How but not why? They're focused on uh, the methods? The people who I know in real life? Yeah. I'm There's surprised they're not focused on the why. That's why I'm asking. They're, 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 well, I think the why and the how go hand in hand. Okay. 
and 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 I'm being purposely vague because I, I don't know because it's a heavy topic and I don't want to yeah I I, I don't want to like blindside the listeners with like man we came the back from the Oracle for fun but um <laughs> is the show ever fun. <laughs> <laughs> I it's mean, been 20 we years. Read, we we used to read Arthur fanfics and oh, like, oh you know, yes, and, and, and the fly butcher's sandwich. <laughs> and there was that um, there was that anniversary show where you and I uh, thought about this earlier when I'm like, do you and I have a song? And then I thought, oh yeah, there's that anniversary show where we did the Frozen song with Hans and um, oh yeah, your brother just yeah, went back. Love is an open door. No. No, we, we do it. Love is an open door. Oh, okay. Okay. There's yeah. that one intro where, yeah. I yeah. Yeah. My brother just, just went one. back to bed. Yeah. That was before my brother had his four kids because yeah. he's got four kids now. There you go. Since, since, uh, since we did that, my brother just yeah. went back to We've been doing the show for a long time. That's a long time. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if anyone was born in 2009 and then like they've grown up with this show. Let's see. 2009, they would be. 14 years old close to it yeah. well you were the very end of 2009 but let's round up and say 14 yeah yeah it's possible someone's been listening since they were 10 and like in utero <laughs> yeah i mean i don't know would a, would a toddler enjoy this show <laughs> who knows who knows toddlers if you're listening to bto yeah sign right in, in. yeah right in because because you know how to read and write obviously yeah where and, were you uh, the first time you heard bto yeah yeah I was on the changing table. <laughs> yes. What exact? So these are questions that I'm just, I, I don't understand. I'm not getting it. What is Black Mask's motivation in framing Batman for the death of Stephanie? To make Batman's life miserable because he's okay. a bad guy. Okay. And, that's and you know, and, and I think as like kind of like a screw you to Batman, yeah. you know. I'm surprised. And, and also if, if Batman's out of the way, then like he could do more crime stuff. I am surprised why Hush is not engaging more of them because this is Hush's thing. And so I feel like he would put a stop to it. But because this isn't a Hush storyline, I, I guess. I, I mean, and, and also, um, I'm trying to remember when the last time we saw Hush was at this point because we had we've been doing Hush stuff over in the Gotham Knights book. I, I'd have to go back and look at it, but Hush yeah. is was kind of in a war with Joker around this time. So okay. it, things were not going great for him. And then does Black Mass know that Wesley killed Stephanie, do you think? If he's had access to the files, then yes, he okay. he would he he would ha- he would have to know. Okay. Which is uh, kind of weird. Uh, that like he has this information. I don't know why he's not luring it over Batman or something. Yeah. Like again, like this this felt a lot clearer when I read it when I was 19 or 20, however old I was when I read this. And when I'm reading this now, like I'm a little more confused about the plan and the why. Maybe it's because I was reading it like week to week at the time. So like I had moments to like look through the clues and like let it sit with me more. Whereas like this one, I just read in an afternoon in one sitting and I'm like, huh? Yeah. Why? Why did Black Mask like choose to do this now? Why did he go for the medical records now, et cetera? Like, uh, I guess the, 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 there's all there's a lot of questions and then yeah. and then when you realize that stephanie's alive actually which wasn't planned when this was written this that raises more questions about certain things yeah emotional blackmail doesn't seem to be black masks shtick but it seems like that's what he's doing here to a certain extent i mean if batman it's a way to f- with batman emotionally oh i said that i said an f word sorry oh well luckily i will <laughs> I get to bleep that on the audio, but 
It's there now for posterity. Posterity. Ooh. Um, yeah. Will I get one of those NBC lip flaps? Um, but yeah, he wants to mess with Batman emotionally. And then also if Batman gets caught and like, you know, arrested for this, then he gets to do more crime stuff without being stopped. Yeah. Sonics isn't going to do anything. Hmm. She's too busy being, she's too busy being forgotten. Jeez. Jeez. Those are my thoughts. Every time Batman says, I'm all alone, I'm all alone, I'm all alone. You ever think Onyx is just like, well, screw you too. Like, I'm here. It's like, all my allies are gone. All my allies have left Gotham. Every single one of them. All of them. Everyone. And and meanwhile, Onyx is like, I'm literally trying to keep the piece together in this neighborhood. I'm sure there's some racism has to do with that. Um, Did we see Onyx anymore after this? probably but like um i I, i'd have to i'd have to look yeah i guess i could always go on dc wikia and see her appearances and see where else she pops up (laughs) well any other thoughts on part three so then we have the finale judgment at gotham this is part four batman 644 writer well then we have six more epilogues and another trade to go i almost reached through my camera to strangle you. Yeah. Okay. Uh, writer Bill Willingham, penciler Giuseppe Comuncoli, inker Sandra Hope, and colorist Jason Wright. Same cover date. Black Mask is attacked by a Joker, and the clown explains that the reason for his hatred towards Sionis is the fact that he was held responsible for the death of Stephanie Brown, the only female Robin, taking the chance of killing her away from Joker because that's his favorite pastime. Joker prepares to deliver the final blow and points his gun at Black Mask, who in return kicks the weapon out of Joker's hands, and the struggle continues. At that moment, Batman arrives at the alley where they are fighting and stops the fight. Joker and Black Mask try to escape, but Batman manages to get a hold of them and restrains them long enough for the... For the Gotham, well, the GCPD, to arrive on the scene. Batman drags Black Mask close to the police, but Joker pulls out a couple of guns from his jacket and points them at Batman and Black Mask. His guns seem to be only toy guns with darts as ammunition, but Joker shoots them and the darts stick to Batman's chest and Black Mask's forehead. As soon as they are in contact with the target, the darts start burning Black Mask's head and Batman's suit. Acid. Joker explains that he coated the darts with acid and glue, so they can't be removed. Batman removes the upper part of the bat suit. I do have a question about this. And then he takes out a basic solution, meaning it's, you know, acid and base, that sort of thing, from his utility belt and neutralizes the acid that is hurting Black Mask's face. Joker is enraged at Batman, but the Dark Knight's wrath is far worse than Joker's, and he knocks the criminal out with a single punch. Batman drags both criminals to the police and gets on his way. However, some of the officers try to arrest Batman, but he convinces them to leave him alone for their own good. A few days later, Winona Chen and her partner give the news about the outcome of the trials concerning Joker and Black Mask. Joker's lawyers will most likely use the insanity plea to send Joker back to Arkham, while Black Mask is going to be convicted for the murders of Stephanie Brown and Vera Cesares. But he manages to escape from police custody moments before the trial by killing two guards, three civilians and the judge. The Odessa mob leader, Alexander Kosov, is convicted for conspiracy to commit murder in the events of the Alamo High. And the famous reporter, Arturo Rodriguez, is also indicted for conspiracy to commit murder. It is revealed on a videotape sent by an anonymous person that during the moments in which Arturo was Black Mass hostage at the Gotham Clock Tower, Arturo allied himself with Black Mass and started working with the crime ward, giving him access to all kinds of confidential information. 
Rodriguez was fired from his network and soon was arrested by the police as he played an important part in the attempted murder of Crystal Brown on his own show. Alfred Pennyworth and Bruce watched the news in the Batcave, and Alfred is glad that all the events from the gang were they're all in the past. However, Bruce has two more unfinished pieces of business to attend to and asks Alfred to prepare the bat plan for later that night as he is going to travel out of the country for a few days in order to find Stephanie's true killer. Batman's first stop is in Gotham City in Winona Chen's apartment. Winona is utterly scared when she enters her apartment and finds Batman standing in the darkness, as anyone would. Batman is there to fulfill his promise made to her after she helped him find Aaron Black. Batman gives Winona a folder with information about the arrangements he made for her. He tells her that one of the three big national networks is going to call her and offer her to host her own Sunday news show. And during the first run, she would interview Superman himself. Winona is astonished by Batman's kindness and she feels like kissing the man, but soon she realizes that Batman is gone. <laughs> Batman then takes the bat plane and goes all the way to Africa, where he locates a mission camp. He tracks down Leslie Tompkins, who has returned to Africa to work as a volunteer for relief efforts. Batman watches as Leslie works harder than any other person in the camp, and when she is finally alone in one of the tents, he approaches her. Wesley, and she's not practicing medicine, by the way. She's kind of doing grunt work. Wesley is grateful that he has found her at last, and Bruce demands an explanation as to why she let Stephanie die. Wesley explains that she was desperate and wanted to finish the Cape Crusader's dream once and for all, and she decided to do so by letting Stephanie Brown die. She's regretful of what she did, and she burned her medical license and gave her fortune away. I don't know how she got it. You can tell me that. The only thing that she wants now is to end her torment, and she asks Bruce to kill her for good. Bruce refuses, as his code of honor would never allow him to kill another person, unlike Leslie. Bang, bang. Shots fired. Leslie tells him that she has set up a fund for Stephanie's daughter, but Bruce replies that no fortune can replace the presence of a kid's parents as he remembers his own tragic past. Bruce decides to leave the place and give Leslie one last word of advice. She must never try to contact him again. We'll see how long that lasts. She won't return to America and she won't practice medicine ever again. If she breaks one of those rules, Bruce will hunt her down as she is now just another criminal on his large database of names. Batman allows Leslie to stay in Africa to deal with her own torment as he returns home. The end. Controversy, controversy. Yeah, what okay. was that ending? So, Leslie Tompkins killed a kid and now. <laughs> yeah, so we'll start with the easier questions and then we'll get to that. So do you feel like Batman has to rip off his own suit if he has this base spray that he uses on Black Mask? I'm not a chemist, so I can't say. So I'm just going to make up an answer and guess and say um, he doesn't have to. He just wants to show off his body. The, the secondary wants, one he, is should he be able to rip his costume, so his outfit so easily? He's been trained uh, for to, 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 to. That is a good point. <laughs> I, I mean, that whole scene was just like, OK, if you had enough for black mass, you could have used it on yourself. But there we go. Uh, that was just an easy one. Oh, Batman in this story. In, in war crimes seems to find I'll say comfort some comfort it feels good to him and in, in the stress that he's feeling or has felt he finds comfort in the violence that he's putting forth on other people talks about it in the bar of course the you know the the bag or everyone else he's beaten up uh, do you have any thoughts on the heightened violence if, Le if Leslie if Leslie Tompkins could read uh, Batman's narration she'd be like 
Told ya. Told ya. Um, yeah, that's that that's kind of concerning. I, I prefer my versions of Batman where like he feels like the violence is something that's unfortunately necessary, but he wished he didn't have to do it. Like he's not out for like, you know, beating people up. He's out for protecting the innocents and like preventing crimes. That should be his primary goal. So him reveling in the violence, that's uh a bit much. Yeah. I w- I was shocked too. I mean Maybe we've seen this before in, in some other storylines where he's really been pushed to it, but it just, yeah, it's a little disconcerting. I mean, like, like if he's mad at be in that bar and beat them up. If he's mad at the Joker for killing Jason or something like that, like those are situations where I'm like, okay with him reveling in the violence. But when it's a story like this, I'm like, eh, this is not really necessary. <sighs> he, he, he shouldn't enjoy that i mean he enjoys scaring them but he shouldn't enjoy like the violence yeah i think that turns you into a psychopath so that's yeah it's it's, it it kind of like almost proves leslie's point which like we're not supposed to agree with leslie in this story yeah i feel like maybe we've already answered this in our discussion about arturo but were you surprised when you initially read this that he was in this deep with black mask I I took everything at face value when I read it the first time that, oh, he was a hostage. And then when I saw that, like, oh, actually, he's been colluding the whole time. That was like a teeny bit of a surprise to me, but only in like, oh, I didn't know this. Like, this is a reveal or this changes the context of these comics. But um, not not too shocked, because like I said, Arturo and like we discussed, he wasn't a very well-developed character. So yeah. like this is just us finding out more about him and surprise, he's not an honorable man. Yeah, I think it certainly was a revelation in terms of what we had seen of him in this storyline. It wasn't as shocking, but if it had gone from what we saw before, because I still have a slight disagreement uh, on our view of his characterization, uh, then I would have been very shocked that, oh, that Arturo, he's in a week. Yeah, because it just would have been like a 180, I think. And then final easy question, do you does Batman normally owe people favors? Not really, but it's nice that he, I mean, because usually he just like demands the information, you know, but I think he's trying to be better in this situation. Yeah. Like, like, that's what I took it as. He's like, all right, like, let me, like, I've driven everyone away. Let me try and learn from this. The story doesn't spell that out, but maybe that's like in the subtext. Yeah. Okay. So then we get to it. I call it the revelation. So at the time... You know, what was this like for you reading? People were very upset about this. And I'm not surprised because this is character assassination of Leslie Tompkins. Like, Black Mask killing Stephanie, that's understandable because that's a villain killing a hero. Leslie Tompkins, this was against everything that Leslie stood for. And, like, yes, she was against Bruce's, like lifestyle but not to the point of like killing a child in order to do it and we talked about like how much of the storyline was an apology for war games this must have been planned from the beginning because we have those subplot pages in war games of leslie looking through the records of stephanie's baby even before stephanie got to the hospital which is weird because like she was planning it then she didn't even know that stephanie was out there injured so, like, it, it kind of goes to what I was saying with, like, there's a lot of things that just don't make sense. So, in that moment where she's looking it up, it's for her planning ahead to give money to her? Y- yes, yes. Yeah. That she, like, took out the 
I, I remembered it wrong when we talked about it then, because I remember that she took out a life insurance policy on Stephanie and that when Stephanie died, she cashed that money in for the baby. But I guess it was just her giving away her fortune. Interesting. But yeah, she was planning Stephanie's death then. That's like a Batman situation of how like far in advance she was. Well, she didn't even know that Stephanie was captured by Black Mask and was going to be dropped off at the hospital unless like she had psychic powers or something like. uh, But yeah, this is character assassination of Leslie Tompkins. This was something that should not have happened. And it's been retconned and rightfully so. Do you think, is there any world that it seems like something Leslie would do? Because she's blown up at him, you know, and, and other, like, she was the one that was like, you shouldn't beat up Killer Croc because I don't believe in any violence. That's not a person that's going to kill a teenage girl. And that was one thing that I liked about Leslie Tompkins versus Alfred is that like, you know, she was kind of like the other side of Alfred. Like if Alfred was like Bruce's surrogate father, Leslie was a surrogate mother. But unlike Alfred, she disagreed with the Batman lifestyle, like, and would try and, like, talk him out of it. Like, she was more anti-Batman than Alfred was. But again, never to the point of killing a child. And then there's the whole Hippocratic Oath of it all, you know. Yep. And then Batman letting her, like, go at the end. That's really weird, too. And you can chalk it up to, like, he still looks at her as that mother figure and he can't bring himself to, like, take her in because of that or if you know the eventual retcon because here's this here's the stupid thing when stephanie does turn up alive batman says i always suspected it on some level so like if batman suspects that stephanie's still alive and that's why he didn't turn leslie in then why is he so mad at leslie in this it, it, it's really weird like the retcons upon the wreck of the, the um it's like that russian doll of like retcons you know sure, like, the nesting doll yeah yeah, yeah, the the, the nesting doll because it's like because when because when Bruce leaves, he's like uh, he tells Alfred, "I I discovered this weeks ago." But then when Stephanie turns up alive, he's like, "I suspected it all along. That's why I didn't put a memorial in the cave." It's like, what is even what is even in Bruce's head in this scene? Then, if we take that retcon in mind, and then the retcon did the best that it could do under the circumstances because the important thing was that we needed Stephanie alive again. But, like, if Leslie faked Stephanie's death and took her to Africa, why did Stephanie agree to let her mom think she was dead? You know, like, uh, why? Well, I feel like we've seen that in television and films where, like, yeah. for it to work, no one can know. But, like, the stakes aren't that high. Stephanie didn't need to. I mean, maybe Stephanie was just so ashamed of everything that happened in war games that she was willing to, like, let her mom believe she was dead. But then also, like, why did they both go to Africa together? And also, like, they didn't go to Africa right away. Like, they said, like, oh, Stephanie, uh, Leslie's been gone for, like, quit, like, a few days or weeks ago or whatever it was. And and, and we're, like, well past war games at this point. Like, we've had months of this new status quo. Yeah. Like, if you look at the issue numbers. So, like, was Stephanie just hiding in, like, Leslie's, like, bathroom during that time? And then they went to Africa together? Because we find out, like, there's, like, a flashback story when Stephanie comes back. Stephanie's in the camp working with Leslie during this period. So, like, Batman doesn't notice the blonde girl, you know, or something. It's... Super focused. She might have been hiding at that moment. And why did she, like, what was Leslie's plan if Stephanie was alive when she, like, sent the tape and everything for all this absolution? 
it's the, the the more you pick apart at this, it doesn't make sense. But as it was written at the time, like let, let's forget about the retcon. Oh, it, actually, before we forget about the retcon, I mentioned before that like Stephanie's secret identity, like that's never dealt with. Batman says here that he's like alerted the authorities. Leslie's now a wanted criminal. When Stephanie comes back, Leslie comes back with her, and like Leslie does not go to jail. She's like not wanted for the murder anymore. That's another thing that's forgotten about. It's like there needs to be like an epilogue that deals with this all. Well, there's <laughs> no evidence that she's the murderer. The files, the they've been destroyed. Batman, ba- Batman found the no, because Batman says the files were destroyed, but not the digital records of it on the computer. Uh, okay. So, like all of this, like let's get the files, let's get the files. Like it's like that's anticlimactic because Batman says actually they were on the computer all along. Yeah. And I've known it was Leslie all along, but also I knew that it wasn't Leslie all along. Like, but if we yes. forget about the retcon and judge this story as it was originally intended to be, as it was written at the time, as it was published at the time, this is character assassination of Leslie Tompkins mm-hmm. that was not necessary. Even though the retcon was messy, I'm glad that they retconned it. Yeah. I mean, it, it it's very shocking, obviously. Uh, yeah. So if we go for shock, shock power i think they succeeded um i think her reasoning i understand what she's trying to do but i think it's just like messed up from from stress so it's just it did not work out it was not the best i know she wants to stop it but that was just not the way to do it yeah it's very interesting and then it yeah again just makes you know i i I love i love the way that you like articulated that you're like she was stressed that was not the way to stop it. It's like killing a teenage girl. No, like, like you're like, well, she was stressed. That wasn't the way to st- like, it's, it's just like such a casual way to talk about like her stress. Oh yeah. It was just one thing on top of another. She's like, is this ever going to end? I've got to stop it. I think I'll do this. So there, she should have maybe brainstormed other, other options. She should have um, done something that wasn't murdering a child. Yes. Yeah. But it it does make it work. Like if it were a spur of the moment thing, like I think if I. This was super premeditated. I know if I keep medical care from her, I think that would have been one thing. But yeah, the fact that we we have evidence of her actually planning it makes it seem worse, I would say. Yeah. So because this is murder. Yeah. I I thought our conversation with Batman was like well written. It was just really out of character. Yeah. No, like, like it was like that was like a good like that was a good scene, but also a bad scene because it was character assassination for Leslie. Yeah. But if I never knew anything about Leslie Tompkins, I, I, I'd be like, wow, this was a well-written scene. Yeah. Yeah. I guess people it'd be like it's tantamount to Jim Gordon murdering or something like that. Like what's happened? Jim, uh, Jim Gordon does, has done murders. But this sort of murder. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, generally, you know, someone that you feel like is morally, I don't know, superior to many, many characters. Yeah, just interesting. Any other thoughts on the finale? What do you think about Batman saying, like, you're a criminal, blah, 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 the cops are searching for me, but him, like, leaving her there? I think that's because of their relationship. Do you think that's fair? Fair to justice. Fair in general, like I mean, if, if I was Thug Number Seven and Batman like hauled me for like stealing jewelry, but like he lets a child murderer live in Africa, then I, no, I'd be ticked. But that's yeah, the same no, thing with Catwoman. It's not. <laughs> it's not fair and equal. I, I think that 
and, and, and also Batman. a fair characterization of Batman too. Like, do you think that Batman would let her go? I think so. Uh, I think that this is one time that he lets his emotions take a bit of lead. And I think that there's just um, this battle that he has going on, knowing that someone he has loved and cherished and was a mother figure has done this. And so I think his gift is that you're basically exiled. But yeah, I won't. I'll only turn you in if you break one of these things. So because I think he's right that probably the worst torment is just her being on her own. Though it's interesting that he doesn't consider that she would kill herself because I mean, she's ready to die at his hands. So I'm just I, I think, shocked I that think, given, given space that she wouldn't commit suicide. I think if she was going to, she would have done it at that point because of how guilty she felt. Yeah. But then it becomes, what was she arguing with that person about when she quits? Was she arguing about this? Vera. And is Leslie then responsible for Vera's death, like, through happens? Well, but th- then that goes to what I was saying before. The only one responsible for Vera's death is Black Mask, because, like, he killed her. Yeah. So you think how, Vera knew? Black, how did Black Mask know to go, go for Vera and the files? Because he would have had to, man, this storyline, the closer you look at it, the more it's like, because he would have had, did Black Mask randomly say one day, I should look into those Stephanie Brown files and then he killed Vera for them? I think he probably wanted to kill, he was going to get it from Leslie, but she was gone. So he the next but, thing was Vera. But then like Leslie happened to mail the videotape at the same time as like they were, as like Arturo Rodriguez was planning his thing. Like, or no, or God, there's a lot of coincidences in here because Leslie... Leslie's plan to like lure Bruce over there happened at the same time as like the as um, Black Mask and Arturo Rodriguez's plan about Stephanie's death was happening, completely independent of each other. Yeah. Oh, I wish you watched the news story, but <laughs> man, this story was a lot better when I remember. Yeah, but then she had to. But know I don't know how Africa. they're in a relief camp. I don't know that they're necessarily getting news. Yeah, I mean they have to be getting some news. Maybe. I wonder if Stephanie saw the news program and was like, oh, okay. I think I've picked it apart like well enough. Thoughts overall on war crimes. Did we need it? On some level, yeah, because the end of war games was really messy and this like cleaned up some of the stuff. But I think like war games, this was its own mess and it could have been handled better. Could we have just let Stephanie die of natural causes? Uh, sorry, they're not technically natural causes, but just have her die because of black mass. Yeah. 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 That, that, that's what I would have done. Interesting. But then I guess you'd have to take out some of the information that was seeded throughout that we were noticing. Yeah. But I, I think I think that that's, you know, because then it also makes Stephanie like less of an active participant in her own death where like she's killed by like a doctor withholding treatment from her as opposed to like the more heroic death of fighting against black mask until the bitter end. Then again, there was all those torture scenes. I I would have done so much differently. (laughs) Yeah. I am happy. I think the main thing that I get from this is seeing what Stephanie's uh, death's effect is on Arthur and crystal. Yeah. Cause we didn't really get that. Mm -hmm. We have it on the Bat family, but not her family family. So so I thought that was interesting. What would you give war crimes out of 10? Uh, let's see here. Let's see. What could we do? I guess uh, trips to Africa. Out of 10 trips to Africa. Oh, God. Maybe six. 
six out of ten trips to Africa. There was parts of it that were well written, but the character assassination of Wesley is like oh, too much to ignore. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I bless the rains down in Africa. Yeah, I guess I could have used that. That's not the song I'm using. It's interesting. I guess, yeah, there are some things that were confuzzling to me. Maybe, maybe 6.5 for me. 6.5 out of 10 trips to Africa. Yeah. Would you recommend war crimes, war games? No. Okay. No, I mean, maybe some of war games, but like it was interesting to revisit. Can you hear this? Yes, but YouTube will um, copyright infringe me. Oh. <laughs> so luckily it was, it was say no more. Yeah, I, I, luckily it was just like five seconds, so I d- I think it'll pass. But okay. if it Man. kept going, I think it would be flagged. Unfortunately, like between my between my f bombs and uh, f bomb and the faux pas, yeah, yeah, yeah I'm and, have to and, do and, all this cutting that yeah. I don't normally do. So I'm lying to people by saying that uncut version because it's going to be cut. Uh, the f bomb. You, you, you could you could say mostly uncut. Mostly uncut. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, could you imagine if they produced like a movie? It's mostly uncut. Okay. Well, follow up questions. Who would have follow up questions? I would have follow up questions. Oh, about what you cut? Yeah, I was like, what, what was, do you mean mostly yeah. uncut? Like, 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 if this was so raunchy that you left everything uncut, like, what was so bad that you had to cut? Yeah, that you had to cut it. Yeah. Yeah. Well. This is the final time you'll ever be on Backroad Oracle. So <laughs> after all my phone book. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Would you like to let the peoples know where they can find and support you? Certainly. Um, so DC's official website, DC.com. Um, I have features in the news section that are um fun to do, fun to write. Um I've uh, had a home there for the past few years, and that is uh it's been fun. And um, over on thepopverse.com, um, I have regular features over there. Um, so yeah, doing a lot, I, I do a lot more writing now than I do podcasting. So those are the places you can find me on the on the internets. Okay, yeah, and maybe you'll see Josh and I on the internets after we elope in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> I- <laughs> What if I just put on my Snapchat, like, because it, it's like a smaller audience of the kids I work with, like the picture of us saying, like, uh, on, like or, or something like preparing for the wedding. They're like, <laughs> they're like, like, you know, just just like vague like that. So like, are you getting married? Like, yeah. you didn't tell us. Like, Remember when you gave me that felt ring box randomly? It, yeah. 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 You saw my classroom. Yeah. Yeah, yeah man. Man, our character designs were so different back then. They were different back then, yeah. Yeah, that that was my thirtieth birthday. Oh, I'm turning I'm turning thirty eight this year. <gasps> Where has that time gone? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I'm kicking this guy off. Uh, when I come back, I'm going <gasps> to cover. Well, just Birds of Prey because I haven't had time to read Nightwing. I'm I feel like I'm like five issues behind. Uh, so Birds of Prey, Volume Five, Number Two. But first is Isis Radio Hour featuring Amoeba by Clara. See you soon. Touch the lack of cement
Welcome back to the last part of Backroll the Oracle, episode 239. And apologies if you are watching this on YouTube, you're just going to be looking at the comic and then I guess my avatar as I finish up, but I'm just really burned out right now. Uh, We are T minus nine days until my thesis is due. That class also has a book club going on with a shared book and we have to make a requisite number of video posts every week. And then the other class has constant discussions and they've never broken down into small groups. So instead of reading four to five peoples, I'm reading like 20 plus. So it's just been a lot of time on the computer. And like I said, yeah, it just burned out. But here we are. We're going to focus on something that makes me happy, which is Birds of Prey, volume five. And this is going to be issue number two, Mega Death Part Two. And I was pleasantly surprised and humbled and pleased that 
Kelly Thompson seemed to have listened to episode 238 because she actually responded to some of the things that happened within the episode as I cover her story. And that's just awesome and amazing when that happens. Uh, that's always, you know, I'm nervous when I do nitpick things apart because I don't want to be, you know, dishonest. Uh, but I also try to kind of um, balance that line of being a critic, but also being supportive of the art. And, and sometimes I succeed in that and sometimes I fail. But everything I said about issue one was certainly genuine. And she did actually X tweet. I, I don't know how you say that. Me that the person that I was not sure who it was, couldn't read it, was Onyx. And so I thanked her for that. I guess a lot of people had not gotten that. And obviously, I, I think that points to how people, how much people have enjoyed that issue in particular, if they are trying to figure out who these people are and are looking at these details. No one's going to be looking at details if it's not worth their time. If they're not liking it, I think that's that must be hate reading if I were to ever do that. And I hate it so much that I'm looking for details that I hate. I, I feel like at a certain point, you have to say no. So I, I think that just uh, speaks to how much everyone have, have hopefully, I mean, I hope, have received this story so far. So we are Birds of Prey. We're reading Birds of Prey issue two this time. Writer Kelly Thompson, art Leonardo Romero, and colorist Jordi Belair. So again, my time is short at this point in time. So this is from the publisher. Black Canary has built an all-out team with a very specific and very dangerous first mission, Extraction. Their target, Redacted. She's being held on Redacted and guarded by a battalion of Redacted. Of course, we know now who the target is, where she is, and who is guarding them. Sounds simple enough, right? Well, then we're explaining it wrong. It's a terrible mission, and before it can even be launched, the birds have to gather a few mysterious supplies and see some old familiar faces that they punch. I guess if I were to add my own particular summary, which we'll see as I go through anyways, certain points, it's definitely a setup, like it's preparation for the mission. So we had gathering of the team. We can't just leap into the mission because I feel like that wouldn't make sense anyways, because you do have to prep and gather the requisite supplies and everything. And also you get sort of a warm up of how this team is going to work together because you saw the individual members fight for whatever reason, whichever or why ever uh, they were fighting within that particular story. But this, they were all gathered. Interestingly enough, they had their own separate things, but they all happened to converge on the same point and then they fought together. So you kind of see how that works. And I think it works well so far. I think as it makes sense, no team is going to automatically come together come together and have that chemistry immediately. So I think we see some kinks that need to be ironed out. Um, but all of this, I think, makes sense within this comic world that we are building. And then we are on our way to Themyscira. So, so I imagine the mission will begin in issue number three. So first of all, I guess I don't know if I even spoke about the art, the or not the art. I think everything I have to say about the art is the same. But this, oh, I will talk about the art in this one. But the cover, which unless you read 
the inside, I think maybe the cover just looks awesome. And it's like, oh, different angles. But it does make even more sense once you see where they go and kind of this upside down verse that they're in. Yeah. So dynamic cover, beautiful. I do like this cold opening here. It says Bhutan years ago, and it is just Dinah and Sin sitting down uh, as sisters. I think this gives new readers an idea of what the relationship was like between Dinah and Sin. Because if you're new and you've hopped on because maybe you are a Kelly Thompson stan, then you hear this Sin and you're like, what is that or who is that? And you don't really get I, I mean, unless you do side research, you're not going to understand what that is like. But I think Thompson is able to, in a few number of pages, really show the loving relationship between these two and also potentially, you know, the chip on Dinah's shoulder that she can't provide as much as she'd like to. Uh, I think it also shows how important this mission is and warns us that Dinah may, in fact, be too close to this mission. So at this point in time, I'm a little worried how this mission is going to turn out. And the one person you don't think you should be worried about, Dinah, is actually the person I am worried about. <laughs> so we shall see what happens because if she has to make a tough decision and it's sin at the center, I don't know how she's going to decide. As uh, fans of this, obviously, it gives us a refresher on why it's important because it's been so long, I feel like, since Sin has been in the comics first. So it refreshes us on this relationship. It gives us an idea of what Sin has been through and that she still retains some childlike innocence, which Dinah tries to protect. Sin does remind me a bit of Cassandra. Um, it would be interesting to do sort of a Venn diagram of them side by side to see, you know, the the similarities and the differences. But there is certainly that feel. I mean, if you were to have a perfect little sisterly double date, you could definitely have Don and Sin and then Babs and Cass on the other side, though potentially the Babs and Cass uh, of a time forgotten and not necessarily in this particular continuity. It's interesting that some members of the team assume Dinah is leading a mission that will inevitably kill some Amazons. Okay, so the first person to walk out, in fact, was Zealot, who's like, I'm not going to kill Amazons. And then we come, she's trying to explain that. And then Harley is one who said that uh, Big Barda is someone who is a bit dubious as well. So I don't know what exactly Dinah has been up to that would lead certain members of the team to that assumption. I feel like that has never been her modus operandi, but I, I maybe it's these I'll say zealots in particular, her and again, I, I don't have any background on zealot, her particular relationship with Dinah that maybe she's seen stuff Dinah doing in the past that makes her cautious. And also, if we refer back to my previous comment, the fact of how close Dinah is to sin and how much is on the line, perhaps these people know that she would kill for sin. So again, I'm a little concerned about what's going to happen in particular with Dinah leading this mission. Later on, actually, I don't know how, once we're talking about death, this is pretty later on, Cass would allow this little gesture here, Barda, to bring two men to the brink of death. 
Dinah says, uh, I'm afraid to ask if Greg and this Nelson person are still alive. Barta says they are. And <laughs> with a worried face, Dinah says Cass. And Cass does this sort of semi gesture with the hand going left and right and says, eh. So that another that's another disconcerting point. Just like, well, Cass is there. Cass is someone who would stay somebody's hand. And yet, you know, Barta really pushed it to a point that maybe she should not have. I think Thompson does a good job considering what fans might complain about or ask questions about and uses that as questions from team members or information from Dinah. Primarily the example of Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman's brought up as someone who could help and Dinah actually says like, yes, that's a possibility, but what's the other possibility that she says no and then we're screwed because our plan is out. And so I think it's brought up and it's resolved. And I think this is potentially something that fans would ask, why did they just ask Wonder Woman? And so I think Thompson's just able to stamp that down and be like, this is the reason why. And so that's very smart because we know that fans with the bone generally don't stop asking and really hold on to things. I like all the questions that that Harley asks and that she has so many that she actually breaks the borders of the page. If you look at this and how it's just continuing to the right and breaks the natural border there. And then later, Dinah ignores her repeatedly while trying to figure out transport to the island. But with Harley, we can expect unconventional in the way that we do. And well, look at this King Shark arriving to commune with his people to the very end. There he is. Uh, and it's funny that Harley actually picks up on Big Barda's comment that she, quote unquote, needed a bigger boat. <laughs> you needed a bigger boat, Quinn. And then Harley is just so excited because Quinn is close to Quint and the situation. But Barda, of course, Barda doesn't make jokes. Barda doesn't know pop culture. So, yeah, there's there's no connection for this to Jaws that Big Barda would understand. Bar, uh, Big Barda's I'm new here observations continue to be funny. For example, at the beginning, when Meridian disappears in a way, almost like after the snap of Thanos, she says the one from the future was made of dirt, which is just interesting, <laughs> interesting and funny. Uh, we bring another character in that I was certainly not expecting in the way of John Constantine. It's unclear at the moment what Dinah needed from him and what the other characters went to retrieve. Still, when she has it in hand, we don't know what it is. So I feel like we won't find out until we're on the island. I also have questions as to why Donna needs John to lead her through a seam here because uh, Big Barda, Cass, and Zealot seem fine making their way on their own through a seam that I don't know how they have necessarily found. Uh, there's Zealot finding one and also pushing Harley through one. The art hint uh, specifically these x-rays of the characters and then angular panels later on because the panels are all i don't know how you even just parallel well the ones later on are parallel but they're very structured stiff not in a negative way but it's just like a general standard comic 
outline. And then as we get into this other section, which we notice, oh, like we have transitioned to another place because we see this, this X-ray form of our characters. And now these panels are a little off hilter at a different degree, however you want to. The angles are getting a little more intense. It's just breaking it. I love that detail with the art to show that we're in a different place and it's the the rules maybe aren't as regulated or particular and uh, what you expect may not happen. What Zealot is doing, I think, is my biggest question as well as what Harley is talking about when she says, quote unquote, the big girl, which seems to rile Zealot up. And then the statement of, quote, feeling new, but being around forever. So I'm not sure. I mean, I did some again. I feel like this is the second every every issue. I'm going to be researching Zealot because I'm trying to figure out what's going on here. But I, I did look up. There was like a daughter sister thing. I'm like, I don't think that's it. You know, I'm just looking at her history, trying to figure out what's going on. Is it going to be someone connected with Zealot's past or is it going to be someone connected with Dinah and like an overlap? Is it someone we know, someone we don't know? I don't know. I'm just now along for the ride. I'll probably continue to look up Zealot, but we'll we'll figure this out. This issue also gives us, like I said, our first team fight as well as wildly different locations and contexts, which I think seems to match the zaniness of the team and give us an idea of what we can expect from this series. I mean, just the team itself, I don't think anyone could have seen this coming. So I think that the tone of the book, as well as the locales and the missions after this mission should, and I believe just because I do believe in Kelly Thompson's writing abilities, that it's it's going to continue to be stuff that we are not expecting. And I love that fact just because, you know, <laughs> I feel like we could call a lot of things that were happening in Barbara Gordon's life for the past uh, few incarnations of the character so to have something come out and and i open it and i have honestly no idea what's going to happen i really love that feeling so it's very freeing to read this and uh like i said you know just looking at this obviously everyone has their particular methods of fighting and they're working together but i think we're also going to see that they're going to probably need to train and coordinate well because this mission is it's not going to be easy for sure. But yeah, we end on a funny note, which I, I'm glad again, you know, Dinah was not willing to trust Harley with such a big mission, i.e. giving them transport to the island because that was the big thing. But Dinah was out. Dinah had prepared everything, but she's like, I still haven't figured out how to do that, how to get to the island. And Harley's like, I know how. So trusting Harley is like, well, you know what you're going to get. And so we've got King Shark, which I think is very interesting. And <laughs> I'm sure everyone's like, man, we should have figured that this was going to happen. But but yeah, just a funny little ending. And I'm interested to see <laughs> which that ending, no bleeping way coming from Nana. I'm interested to see what is going to happen on this island because uh, it's about to get serious. But again, Thompson has done really well with balancing the serious tones with the the funny tones as well. Like nothing seems inappropriate. So 
I'm going to, I think, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I think it's obviously the first issue. I loved it so much. And I think this is more of like a planning preparation issue. So I'm not going to give it a 10. Uh, so I'll give it a 9.5 out of 10 birds. I think still really good. It's still keeping me hooked. Like I said, I just enjoy pulling this up ready to go and having no idea what's going to happen and being along for the ride and looking forward to number three to see what's going to happen. But yeah, just to reiterate, I am nervous about Dinah being the leader now more than I think I would have, but I think there's just a lot on the line and she is too personally invested and we know bad things happen when there are some personal interests at play. So okie dokie. And I think I just really have my literature recommendations. Okay. I think the last one I talked about was Family of Liars by E. Lockhart. So what I read this month, In Order to Live, A North Korean Girl's Journey to Freedom by Yeonmi Park, which was was really interesting just because I really, I have a dearth of background in I think Korean wars and history and things like that. And I really don't know a lot about North Korea. And so hearing what that was like and trying to get out of North Korea to South Korea via China um, was really interesting and also devastating as well. But I do recommend that. One last stop by Casey McQuinston, which was a woman loves woman romance that sort of is time bending and i thought it was okay it's not like the best one i read but it, it was certainly original i think in in the way that i don't want to spoil it but i guess in the way that there are some some time bending things walden by henry david thoreau which uh was a difficult read for sure you have to take your time with that but thoughtful and certainly made me want to pursue such a lifestyle and i think it is possible and you can listen to that on the next episode of required reading with tom and stella tom led that one of course i finished war games book two And then uh, Beach Read by Emily Henry, which was recommended to me by a friend who started off, you'd be so proud of me, which I guess because I'm a shipper. Um, But she read this and she's like, it was so good. And so I read it and I thought, well, this really is good. So I do recommend that. And then I also read Emily Henry's People We Meet on Vacation, which was also good. But I think if I were to recommend one of the two that I've read, I would say go with Beach Read just as something that is a nice romantic tale as well as having some depth to it, which I do appreciate that in my romances. And then I feel like I have five different books that I'm currently reading, not only texts for school, but I've got other texts for fun. And then like I've got, I, I feel like I always have a romance going on and then I have something else happening. And I just got an interlibrary loan of like something with a very scandalous title that I found in the text of one of my classes that I'm interested in reading and went to the library and I have two more holds. So I've got like this backlog that so besides, you know, working for school, I also have some stress about reading books, which is always problematic things that you want to do, but there's just not enough time. Oh, that is it. Yeah, this is a three part episode or it felt like it for sure. Thankfully, War Games is over. It's over. So I guess we can only think about it when it pops up in the books that we are reading. At this moment, since I haven't 
pulled up my Excel document at all. I don't know what I'm doing next. It could be a bar, uh, a birds of prey, or it could be a cast and Batgirl story. So I guess we will find out. But remember, you can send any questions or comments to BatgirlTheOracle at gmail.com. Like the show on Facebook or follow it on Twitter at BatgirlTheOracle. Subscribe to the show on YouTube for an uncut version. And follow the Batman Universe on Facebook and Twitter as well. And support the Batman Universe by subscribing to Patreon. Once again, thanks to Mile High Comics for sponsoring Batgirl the Oracle, the Barbara Gordon podcast. And until next time, fly on, Babs lovers. Just plain Barbara Gordon masquerading for a lark as she rides into the night on her special Batgirl cycle. Who knows? Is the dynamic duo destined to become the triumphant trio? Only time will tell us more about this dazzling dare doll. Ah, I love a happy ending, don't you? <laughs>